New to Medicare? Start now. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about some of the top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. If you're thinking about a Medicare Advantage plan, MyHealthPolicy.com is a great place to go to find a plan that meets your needs. Learn more about your options. Even talk with a licensed insurance agent. MyHealthPolicy.com. New to Medicare? Go to MyHealthPolicy.com. With MyHealthPolicy.com, you can compare plans from some of the nation's top insurers. Start now to find a plan and apply online. MyHealthPolicy.com makes it easy to find a Medicare Advantage plan in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. My decision, my Medicare. MyHealthPolicy.com. Poor Sid Vicious. Can't cut a break. Returning to WCW. This week in 1999 on Nitro, Kevin Ash comes out impersonating Sid Vicious. Rubber mask with a really protruding jaw. Uh, his facial reactions were hilarious. The blonde wig, the flannel shirt, and he's acting all stupidly. So he's in the ring with Scott Hall. They're making fun of Sid. Sid comes out to a chorus of boos, trying to insult Kevin Nash back. And he came out with this gem that will stick with him for the rest of his wrestling lifetime. See, Nash, you can wear any Halloween costume you want to. But you know and I know that you only And in case you didn't hear it at the very end, his attempt to insult Kevin Nash, he says to Kevin that, I only have half the brain that you do. (laughs) Man, if you're not aware of these botches that Sid used to do, there are some tribute pages online if you do some searching. And uh, they have nothing but a montage of botches that Sid had done in interviews. Nothing personal against the guy, even though I don't like, you know, his political attitude of late. I think it's the best way I could put it. But still, as a wrestling fan, I enjoyed him back in the day. You know, the promos made me laugh a little bit. That one is one of the best, though. What's going on, everyone? Episode 46, This Week in Wrestling History. This week, we covered a period of November 13th through November 19th. And just to give everyone a little synopsis about this week, you know, last week we had almost 30 audio clips. This week is about 17. And the reason why that they're less is because of time constraints. This week, as you will hear, um, you know, me as a wrestling fan and the annals of history, to me, four big events came down this week in history. One, unfortunately, was the untimely death of Eddie Guerrero. We will talk about that. Then there was a couple of wrestling events that I definitely want to dedicate a little time to. And those four events that I bring up, that in itself will total about an hour's worth of audio. So, But we have a really wide array of uh, clips this week. Some, I guarantee, is going to bring back memory. Some you may not have even heard before. Um, And we're going to start this week with an audio clip, and it's 1983. Now, 
Anybody that was a wrestling fan back in the 80s, especially if you watched WWF television at the time, championship wrestling, all-star wrestling, you know, it was usually squash matches. And then you would get a Buddy Rogers corner mixed in with that. And, you know, the commentary would be Pat Patterson and Vince McMahon. They would have an hour and then they would also hype up the local shows and stuff like that. Very rarely did you have a real competitive match. You know what they would do a lot also? They would have like a tag team match. And like the tag team would be, I don't know, Sergeant Slaughter and um, oh, who was the, the partner that he would use once in a while? Oh, man, um, Don Carnoodle. And they would face a team and one of them may be someone halfway decent, like a Tony Gurria, but then he would be with a Charlie Brown. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or you would have an SD Jones and a Mike Blah. They would do that. And you'd also get the very young Kurt Henning, the very young Eddie Gilbert. And they were up and coming stars. They really did not get many wins. However, on the house show circuit, you know, that they would do shows for, they would win matches, but they would face people like Jose Luis Rivera, uh, Johnny Rods. There's a few of them at the time. But it was very rare to get a title change on one of these shows, unless it was a highlight from a particular, you know, event at the Garden or somewhere else. But we did get a title change this week in history in 83, and it was on the regular TV. The crowd went fucking bonkers. And around 83, if you relate to what I'm talking about right now, there were two matches that where the crowd just went insane as far as something related to a title. One of them was Rocky Johnson versus the Magnificent Morocco. And we thought that Rocky Johnson had won the Intercontinental title. Basically, he had Morocco, I believe, in an abdominal stretch. And Lou Albano was teasing going into the ring. And he's like half in the ring and half not. And his foot hadn't touched the ground yet. And the minute his foot touched the inside of the ring, the referee called for the bell. Everybody thought it was a submission win that Rocky got the title. The place went nuts. Went nuts. And there is video of it online. But went nuts. Then we learned that, no, it was just a disqualification. This time, though, it was a legitimate title change. We had the Wild Samoans against, yes, Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas. Some people back then knew them as the name The Soul Patrol. We knew them mostly as Atlas and Johnson. And here's the closing moments of that match. And you can hear the crowd once again going nuts. This was a big moment as a young wrestling fan watching WWF on TV. All right. Fortunately, no fall here. But Rocky Johnson, we're back. Rocky Johnson is taking tremendous sums of punishment. Look how vicious the Samoans are this week. Albano putting a lot of pressures on the Samoan. Atlas wanting to come in and help out Rocky, who's really having his problems over in the Samoan corner. You just can't spend any time over in the Samoan's corner. Well, Atlas actually could go in there and help Rocky Johnson. There is no disqualification. But I think why he's not going in there, he doesn't want to be trapped. He's just hoping Rocky will recover. 
To the rope now, The Rock takes a double shot and bends up and down in pain. One, two, almost a count of three. Actually, look at here. Battle. Look at Sika. Oh, actually, here it's only Atlas from the outside. To come on, Rocky, get up! Albano directing traffic in there. Boy, you, I mean, these fans are really with them. Rocky. Sika and Alpha. Those Samoans, they know what they're doing, Vince. Double team out, they're just eating him up. No disqualification. Oh, the Stony Atlas want to get in there. Look at him. Actually yelling at Rocky. Get up! Atlas yelling at Rocky Johnson. He's, he's begging him. That's one of the things that makes it a great combination. Their, their willingness to help each other out. Albano trying to direct, to, uh, direct traffic. To the rope goes Rocky. Oh, nicely done. Well, actually, Albano could just do about anything and get away with it. There is no disqualification. That's why I'm not certain about this match, Vince. Well, there were some conjectures of whether or not the disqualification rule was, was waived only as it relates to the, the title being changed. I'm not... Well, Vince... Albano accepting that match with no disqualification, he must have something in his mind. Oh, there's no doubt about that. No doubt of it. Rocky Johnson, a little more leverage now on that second rope. Off the rope, shoulder block, both men down. Looks like he's a little antsy now about the latest turn of events. Run! Hit! Oh, look at that! Couldn't get him! Rocky's got to get out of there. He's got to make that tag, but he won't last too much longer. Rocky Johnson, cover again, Sika now, no. I tell you, the Samoans are in control. I still feel that Lou Albano's got something up his sleeve. Accepting a match for the championship, no disqualification. 
knocked down. Cover. Oh, come on. Oh, he should have had it right there. Alvaro getting into trouble. Attack. The referee is out. I know it. I oh, know no. it. Oh, no. Alvaro in there. No. Time. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the time. Eight minutes and 22 seconds. Here are the new World Wrestling Federation's Tag Team Champions, Tony Atlas, Rocky Johnson. Very cool memory. Absolutely cool memory. Here's another one. And I was shocked to find out that this video has finally surfaced online over the last maybe couple of years at most. Back in 1987, WWF held a Legends Battle Royal at the Meadowlands in New Jersey. Now, growing up a wrestling fan, I had been a wrestling fan now at that time for about seven or eight years, but I never followed Bobo Brazil, Gino Brito. Edouard Carpentier, Al Costello, Reggie Lazowski, Dominic DiNucci a little, Tony Gurria a little, Rene Goulet, Gene Kanitsky, Killer Kowalski, not too much. Luthez, heard about him in magazines. You know, Pat O'Connor, Pedro Morales, yes, Baron Miguel Cicluna, uh, Arnold Scullin, Raider Crippler Stevens, Chief J. Strombo, R. Thomas. Out of everybody on that list, Raider Crippler Stevens was probably my favorite. But most of these legends was too young to know who they were. So I never thought of going to this Meadowlands Arena event, but they had this Legends Battle Royal in 87, and um, the footage is now online. I wanted to play it for everyone. The problem is there's no commentary, and that surprises me because Meadowlands, WWF House Show 87, why is there no commentary? <laughs> so, but it's the video quality is not bad. And some of these wrestlers, when you see their age, it's pretty damn impressive. Luthez, who won the battle row, was 71 years old. And the last person he eliminated, Pat O'Connor, was 63. Um, but there is a side story to all of this. And um, this is something that's been talked about for decades. And that one name that you find missing from this battle royal, I mean, there's many names you could think of, but one in particular was Angelo Poffo, the father of the Macho Man Randy Savage. Macho Man was in WWF at the time, doing very well. I think the genius was there already, um, and he did not get an invite for the battle royal. So some people have assumed that it caused a huge rift between Vince 
and Randy Savage, you know, over the years at that time. I'm not that sure about it. I, I think that they obviously you'd be pissed off. Why didn't you take, take my father? But at the same time, though, you know, I don't think it was as major of a rift as people try to portray it to be. Even though it was cool to see Randy Savage's father that time on a WCW pay-per-view. You might remember that one. Um, I think it was outside, wasn't it? Um, could it have been the steel cage match with Hogan and Vader? I don't know. I just, I haven't seen that event since it aired, so I might not even be thinking of the right one. Speaking of WCW, well, it's really NWA at the time. 1989, the New York Knockout, Clash of the Champions 9. If you look at my synopsis, you'll see a really cool newspaper article to, uh, promoting this event. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, I said that I now have an account with newspapers.com. It's not cheap. You have archives to tens of thousands of papers for like over a hundred years worth. And you type in what you're looking for and you could pull archives. So now I'm finding all of the news articles, unfortunately, about the passing of Eddie. All the news articles when Jerry Lawler was accused of rape in 93. All the news articles of Ric Flair's plane crash. It's just, And it's not just wrestling. Any articles you want. It's amazing what you find there. And I had to do a lot of research for it because there is a similar copy of the, the ad that I have in a synopsis online. But whoever posted it was torn in half. So I had to do research to try to find the perfect copy for myself, and I did. And it was really, really cool. So there was one match on this card that everybody will always remember this event for. And we are going to cover that and share it with you now. It is one of my favorite matches of all time. It is definitely in my top five. Terry Funk is my favorite wrestler of all time. And on this card, you had the infamous match, the I Quit match between Ric Flair and Terry Funk. Terry Funk had Gary Hart in his corner. And this, I think a lot of people forget, this match was on free TV. This aired on TBS. I mean, it's just, think about that for a minute. This this could be considered one of the greatest pay-per-view matches of all time, arguably. And this was on free TV at the time. You know, I know some of you out there don't put a lot of interest in Dave Meltzer when he rates matches by stars, five stars, whatever it is. Just put this in perspective for those that do follow it out a little bit. Dave Meltzer gave this match five stars. All right, so you think about a match that was available on free TV. TBS got five stars. That's pretty damn impressive. So other matches on the card before we share some of the I Quit match. Freebirds over the Road Warriors. Doom over Eddie Gilbert and Tommy Rich. Midnight Express of Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane over the Dynamic Dudes, Johnny Ace and Shane Douglas. Dr. Death, Steve Williams over the Super Destroyer. By the way, we will mention again Steve Williams later on in the show. And it's a return that I think a lot of people will want to forget. No, it has nothing to do with Brawl for it all. Steiners over the skyscrapers. Lex Luger over Flying Brian to retain the United States title. Ric Flair over Terry Funk in an I Quit match to retain the heavyweight championship. Here's a cool little story you may not be aware of. Uh, on this show, you had a wrestler. His real name is Tyler Maine. But um, he was there under the name Nitron. Now, this guy 
was a legit wrestler. He wrestled for about 10 years, came up in Calgary, wrestled in the UWF, wrestled in WCW, New uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling, Puerto Rico, was around. And in 89, at this time, he's playing a bodyguard, mostly for Doom and Woman. And his name is Nitron. And he did this for a little while, but in 1990, he started wrestling in Puerto Rico, went to all Japan, wrestled for a couple of years uh, out there. And then in 93, came back to WCW. This time when he came back, they gave him the name Big Sky, and he teamed up with Vinny Vegas, Kevin Nash. We talked about that once earlier this year. Well, almost immediately after they were formed, Kevin Nash left WCW to go to the WWF as Diesel. So, you know, uh, Tyler Mayne was left pretty much without a partner, and he would go to the UWF in 94, and he held some belts over there. He has a pretty decent career. Um, but unfortunately, due to Herb Abrams passing away and the dissolving of the UWF in 96, he retired. Didn't do much after that in wrestling. Now, in 2000, the movie X-Men came out, and they were looking to fill the role of Sabretooth. Sabretooth ended up being filled by Tyler Maine, who was Nitron and the partner of Kevin Nash back in 93. But who was supposed to get that a role originally? Kevin Nash. They originally offered Kevin Nash the role of Sabretooth, but because he had so much going on in wrestling and in his career, he could not fill the role. So it went to Tyler Maine instead. So interesting little tidbit there. Now, let's go back to Ric Flair versus Terry Funk. What could be better than a five-star I quit match between Ric Flair and Terry Funk? What could be better? The fact that Jim Ross and Gordon Soley are on commentating. They're doing the commentating and it is just phenomenal. And I have said this before and I'll repeat it on every other show. The one thing that I love about putting clips on these shows is because when we watch these on TV or even on a computer, you know, you're sitting in front of a desk, you're laying on your bed, you're sitting on your couch, and the distance between the TV and yourself is quite quite a bit. So you don't hear a lot of the tiny little nuances in the audio that you don't pick up because you're sitting 20, 30 feet away. In some cases, some of you sit even further away. So when you have the audio right smack in your ears on headphones or, or it's right literally in front of you, you get to hear a lot of little things that you don't pick up from television. And between the grunts of the chops and hearing the wrestlers, you know, yelling and screaming and stuff like it really adds to this. It was an awesome match. I'm going to share most of it with you now. Let's flash back to 1989, Ric Flair versus Terry Funk. I quit match from Troy, New York. Enjoy. We have about 30 minutes of airtime remaining. No falls in this one. No disqualifications. No count out. We're going to keep it right here as long as we possibly can. I don't see how a match with these kind of stipulations can go very long, Gordon. But honestly, big chop and Buck already knocked out over the ring. Well, Funk is uh, almost to a point of being irrational. And uh, 
This may either give him the, the driving edge or it could cost him the edge. I was going to say interesting thing about the interview I had with Gary Hart is he said that told Funk, and not only are you representing Texas, which is a true statement, but you're representing me, and I don't want you to give up under any circumstance. Oh, what chops. Funk's chest will turn several colors before this one's all said and done. Irish whip in, big chop right to the chest, and Funk is down, rolls to the outside. This one will be so unorthodox. Action, I'm sure, will be in and out of the ring. Big chop by Flair, right on up of Terry Funk. I have to think Flair will use the figure four at its earliest opportunity. Funk is a master of the spinning toe hold. Both are great submission moves. I look for both men to use those moves, Gordon, as this match progresses. Well, the spinning toe hold is a patent of uh, the Funk family. Dory Funk Jr. used it to win the uh, World Heavyweight Championship over Gene Kaniski. And, uh, of course, Rick Flair has really got a patent on that figure four leg lock. Her fists are doubled in this phenomenal crowd here in Troy, New York. And we are broadcasting live. Here on TBS, the Superstation, Colonel Botaya. Side headlock by Funk, but not for long. But he puts Flair on his back with a, with a big football tackle, single leg pickup, and Flair right on top with a blatant choke. Funk Flair caught in the uh, face. And he's right over uh, our uh, desk here. And Funk is punishing his man as well. Big right hand by Funk, or a left hand, I should say. Kicks him away. Gordon's moving out of the way, and I probably should be. Almost like you're strapped in here. Well, I'm moving back as far as I can. I'll guarantee you that. You get the intensity and the fury of these two men. And they're outside the ring. Big left hand there by Terry Funk. Right on the forehead of Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Flair on the apron here, on our side of the ring. Funk has him by the hair, brings him back up vertically on the apron. Big chop there by Funk. Retaliation and a headbutt. Down goes Flair. Now Flair being punished, Gordon. And uh, Flair still on that ring apron outside. Funk trying to drag him back through. And a pinfall is absolutely meaningless. Flair ram head first into that railing. Funk working hard with that big right left hand. He's got his hands heavily taped. A la Texas Deathmatch, which his father made famous for a tape-fist match. He is ready. He's got the microphone. intensity here and uh, Funk rolling back into the ring his dad of course is the king of the Texas death matches tremendous family pride and the crowd is now really 
picking up the intensity of this match. Buck again, that heavily taped left hand. It's really doing its damage on Nature Boy Ric Flair. This match is really not very symbolic of the NWA style as far as the wrestling. We say we wrestle. This is a Pier 6 brawl. Don't you want to quit before I hurt you? 
This is so unique. What a novel match. Now, camera's taking you inside the ring where you can actually hear these guys. You'll be able to hear one of them say, I quit. Blair says no. Man, this is brutal. This is so physical. Five letters, two words. Buck's trying to position Flair for a pile driver. Flair trying to extend his legs away to keep that, that base from not being able to be elevated. He broke his neck, remember, some years back. Buck has got him up. This is his move. He kills him with it. You want to quit Flair? The humiliation when one man finally says it. And right now it looks like it may be Ric Flair because he is in severe trouble. Terry Funk has really asserted himself, Gordon. This is Funk's kind of match. Certainly no question about that. And it's such a uh, uh, unique situation to have Tommy Young, the referee, with that microphone right there. You're able to hear the labor. He's on the floor. He's got him oh, again. No. This is, we're on a the hockey rink. There's ice underneath that, that particle board. Well, we may be seeing the end of a dynasty right here. This is Funk's kind of match. He is dominating it at this point in time. Using the mic for a weapon. That's not what was supposed to happen. He cannot use the microphone for a weapon. I know it's no disqualification, but he's got to have a little bit of compassion. I guess not. No, no, not in this case. Not when your entire career, and yes, indeed, uh, perhaps uh, your active life uh, at stake here. Buck's taking that table now around. He's, he's positioning this. This table, remember it's no disqualification. Flair was slammed on it. The action around ringside here is simply like a car collision. There, and a desperation move caught him in the uh, midsection, catches him once again. Big, big thunderous chop. Another right hand straight to the face. Positioning the table. They've got oh, on his back. Right behind us. Big jaw. What a chop. And Flair takes bumps all the way across. Face first, right across the table. I'm amazed that both men are still on their feet. 
face. Flair knows this is a career-threatening match. So does Terry Funk. It's over for one of them, and it may be over right now for Terry Funk. something he's not one of my favorite guys but i gotta tip my hat to him a lot of people would be hanging it up but he's back in there fighting He's got 
got that thing locked completely in. He's got it deep, deep in there. Gordon, have you ever seen him last this long in the figure four? It can be reversed. It can be reversed. Sting, the most popular wrestler in the 
sign of his courage, the blue steel folding chair. As they make their way up the ring, Lex Luger with that chair. Oh man, what's he doing? What's he doing? Oh no! Oh, wait a minute. Now we fast forward to 1992, a babyface turn that we do remember, but it doesn't get anywhere near the love it should. And I know why, because it didn't happen in the ring. The person wasn't attacked. It happened sitting at a table in primetime wrestling. But before we get into what transpired and we have some audio highlights of everything, let's first talk about Fox. This week in 92, Fox aired the last episode of the original Saturday night's main event. And matches that night, it was hyped up that three championships would be defended. So you had Bret Hart retaining the WWF championship over Papa Shango. Shawn Michaels winning the IC championship over the British Bulldog. And you had the Ultimate Maniacs, who were fighting for the tag titles, defeated Money Incorporated, but just by countout. So now... You have the Ultimate Maniacs, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, Ultimate Warrior. Awesome tag team at the time. All I remember is a boatload of color. You know, the outfits were very colorful. A lot of muscle and those sunglasses. I always wanted those sunglasses. One that said Ultimate and the other one said Maniacs. I thought that was really, really cool. But they were supposed to fight at Survivor Series. And right now, the match that really was leading up to Survivor Series was Razor Ramon and Ric Flair versus the Ultimate Maniacs, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Now, during the year of 1992, Kurt Henning had been in the corner of Ric Flair, and he also was managed by Bobby Heenan, and he was always in the corner as the executive consultant. And that's pretty much what Henning's role was. You know, he was suffering from injury, blah, 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 fine. So now WWF is trying to plant the seeds to turn Kurt Henning babyface. And you had, and a lot of people forget about this aspect of it. You had a couple of weeks where they would be sitting at the round table of primetime wrestling. It would be Vince McMahon, Bobby Heenan, Kurt Henning, Slick, Hillbilly Jim, and some others. And they would you know, talk a little bit, then they would play a match, talk a little bit more, play a match. Sometimes they would make announcements and then sometimes they would do a little storyline stuff at this table. So for the weeks leading up to it, they're now starting to plant the seed that there might be some dissension between Mr. Perfect and Bobby Heenan. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that because the highlights will tell the story itself. I'd rather let you guys hear it. But what had happened was the ultimate warrior abruptly left WWF before the Survivor Series. Now, I know a lot of you out there know at the time, you know, there, there was an issue with steroids. This might have been the time that they let British Bulldog go. Any Ultimate Warrior, there's also been rumors that it had to do a contract. The bottom line is, is that Ultimate Warrior abruptly is gone. Now, Macho Man Randy Savage has no partner to take on Ric Flair and Razor Ramon at Survivor Series 1992. So the end result is that Macho Man starts asking Kurt Henning, won't you be my partner, man? And 
Kurt Henning is, you know, at first has no interest. Then Bobby Heenan is speaking for Kurt, Kurt Henning. Kurt Henning's getting a little annoyed, blah, 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 blah. And then it ends up with Kurt Henning becoming its partner. Thus, the baby face turn for Mr. Perfect. You know, I know a lot of people who reminisce on his perfect run should have got considered the heavyweight title, even for a short period of time. I know in this day and age, you look back on it, you're like, how could they not have done it? In the era of the Giants, everyone, perfect was always looked at as IC material. You know, if he had the right tag team partner, a tag team champion as well. But I don't honestly ever recall me and my friends talking wrestling, reading magazines, watching this stuff and ever saying to ourselves, perfect's going to be champion. Perfect's going to be heavyweight champion. Perfect's going to get the belt. Never felt that way. It's just we would love it. Don't get me wrong. But you never had that feeling. So let's flash back to some highlights that led up to the split between Mr. Perfect, Bobby Heenan, and also the split with Ric Flair. And the Ric Flair aspect of this is very important because this storyline, when you think about it, this was well put together. Enjoy. 30 competitors competing for the coveted World Wrestling Federation Championship. The man who wins the Royal Rumble not only can claim to be the WWF champion, he can look back in time and say, I did something no man has ever done. I defeated, one way or another, 29 other superstars to be the champion. With that in mind, we heard a little bit earlier on from the macho man Randy Savage. It's only right now that we hear from the one man who sits at this table who has competed in no less than three Royal Rumbles, who, however, will not be competing in this one. The question to you, Mr. Perfect, why are you not competing in this Royal Rumble? Well, when I signed the contract to be Ric Flair's executive consultant, there is a clause in there that excludes me from wrestling against Ric Flair. Exactly. And do you know who put that contract together? Well, Bobby did. That's exactly my point. Bobby Heenan, Mr. Perfect, is precluding you from entering the most prestigious event in the history of the World hey. Wrestling Federation. You, Mr. Perfect, could, so to speak, walk that aisle Wait. as the WWF Wait. champion, but according oh, no. to, thank you to Bobby Heenan, you're not going to be in the Royal no, Rumble. No, no, no. You know Did what? you I ever think you've been No, Reverend. All right, Reverend. I think you've been had, No, no, Perfect. Wait, hey, Look, hey. I'll explain this. Please do. <laughs> what happened here is, when we put this thing together, the, the World Wrestling Federation title was not in the Royal Rumble. It wasn't that important. Yeah, that, but now, true. now, that's not that's so true. good, buddy. You stand a chance of being the executive con uh, cons consultant to the real world oh, champion and the World Wrestling Federation. He's just trying to... Excuse me, Mr. Perfect, you may never, Mr. Perfect, you may never, ever, ever get an opportunity to be World Wrestling no, Federation no, champion again. No, no, you blew this never. opportunity no, on January no, 19th. No, he didn't. See, we didn't know this was going to take place at the time. Gentlemen, I wonder, Mr. Perfect, not only does it not occur to you that Bobby Heenan had something to do with the clause that prohibits you from entering the Royal Rumble. Stop it. Wrong with you. But nonetheless, did it ever occur to you, Mr. Perfect, that there may be a little bonus coming Bobby Heenan's way as a result of... <laughs> let, 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 let me ask one question. 
Did you and Ric Flair look over my contract before I signed it? Of course. Well, don't you answer for me, damn it! Are you yeah, but I, I, I negotiated. Yes. What did you thing. say? I'm not, I'm not on trial here. I'm not on trial. You see what's happening with this Royal Rumble? There's so much at stake here that everybody's fighting everybody. Calm the down, man. We're gonna get Calm down, man. The worst you now, ladies don't and gentlemen. Get a hold of yourself. You shut up, or I'll move it back. Or you since mr perfect you cannot enter the royal rumble and therefore since you cannot be world wrestling federation champion stop it with you. then why don't we allow mr perfect an opportunity to win something here's something you why don't you dial up the hulkster's hotline you can win prizes you can hear the daily message from the hulkster and play the interactive game you can win some prizes now wait a minute does your contract preclude you will you knock it off it's no, not I'll play the game I'll sure, play the right, fine. Because, is that all right with you Did oh it's okay with me sure just, okay, just, just, just sign second. anything here just and uh, just I, pick I, up the phone i just want to say i hope you win since you can never be the world wrestling federation champion all right with that in mind one of you want to hey, play along with mr perfect why don't you do so by dialing 1-900-45-4-0 it's only a dollar 49 for the first minute and 99 cents for each additional minute and kids make sure you have your parents permission or in this case Let's make sure Mr. Perfect has Bobby the Brain Heenan's permission before he can play the game. Huh. Uh, how are you doing over there? Wait, let's see if he wins. He's going to win. Let's go to commercial. Hold it. Hold it. That's it. You're trying to prevent him from no, winning. No. You're talking in his ear. You're trying to distract him. Do you shut up. Hold it. He's good at this. Huh? Bingo! Santa Domingo! Hey, 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 I'm a winner! Right. What do you know you. about that? I I'm a winner! You I want darn the right you're a winner! You're not I'm not gonna, I'm the gonna only thing you'll ever win. Tell you that. Well, you he saw it. to that. I didn't see anything. Yep. I'd like to take this just one step farther for you, for just for your sake, perfect. For the last seven, eight weeks here, you've been expounding the virtues of Ric Flair, how he's going to walk away from the Royal Rumble with the championship and be the new World Wrestling Federation champion. If that, in fact, happens, if you're right, and you say you're perfect, <laughs> your career could be over before you ever no, get a crack no, at the title. No, oh, wait a minute, no. because he'd never be able to compete no, with Ric Flair. No, 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 no way. Boy, have you ever sold him in the river? You buried this guy forever. You sold him down the river. That's what you did. You see what's happening? You see what's happening? No, I don't see what's happening. I'm going to tell you what's happening with this Royal Rumble. And everything is so prestigious to win that title. Everybody's turning on everybody. The only way we're going to make it, the only way Flair's going to make it is if we stick together. You're going to make more money than you've ever made. You're a broadcast journalist. You're the best in the business. You're the best in the business. It is time, Mr. Perfect, Pasta. for you to put up or shut up. That's right. Will you be the tag team partner of the Macho Man Randy Savage at Survivor Series? Yes or no? I'll handle this right now. Get your hand out hey, from in front of my face. You're not making the right decisions. You're listening to Savage. They got you all turned around. Yeah. Just listen to me. It's time someone took, takes charger, and I'm going to do it. People in life have to take orders. I take orders from Flair. You're going to take orders from me and Flair. Flair wants you to walk behind him in his shadow. You do it to whoa, say yes, sir. Whoa, Keep your mouth shut. Man, I'll whoa. do the same thing. He is not wrestling anybody. He is not getting in the ring. Tell you something, something, Heenan. I am sick and tired of everybody making decisions for me. Savage, you want an answer? I'll give you an answer. I accept. As wait, 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 I said, I accept. Hey, I'm talking. Don't you hear me? Don't you hear me?
Sorry. I'm just tell you something right now. He didn't, you don't put your hands on me. No, wait a minute. Survivor Series, wait I'm going to be no, in the corner of the Macho Man Randy Savage. I accept it, Savage. And Bobby Heenan, I'm going to tell you, you put your hands on the wrong person. You just got done putting your hands on Mr. Perfect. You don't touch Mr. Perfect. I know, I know, I know. You've been holding me back all these years. You've been putting me on the back burner. Ric Flair has been walking in my shadow. Ric Flair wants to fill my shoes. Wait, look what they've done to us. Look at they tore us apart. I didn't mean to hit you. God knows I'd never do you that. Hit me. Get oh, never do that. Off of me. I'll get down on my knees. I'll get down on one knee and tell you something. Please, we'll never do it again. I'll never do anything wrong. Oh, I promise you. Sure. I'll buy you a car. I'll get sure, you a boat. Sure. I'll give you double the money you could have made. I'll get on both knees perfect. Please don't leave us. What a Please terrible don't, don't do that. for Please. a man. Please don't oh, do that. Please don't. That? No, no, no. Oh, oh, take that oh, what do you think about that, Ric Flair? What do you think about this wet weasel? Macho Man Randy Savage, I'm back, and I'm back in the Survivor Series as your partner, believe it or not. This week also in 1992, WCW had Clash of the Champions 21 for Macon, Georgia. Match results, Flying Brian over Brad Armstrong. Scotty Flamingo over Johnny B. Bad by knockout in the boxing match. Eric Watts and Kensuke Sasaki over Arn Anderson and Beautiful Bobby. WCW champ Ron Simmons and Two Cold Scorpio over Cactus Jack, the Barbarian, and Tony Atlas in a two-on-three handicap match. This was Two Cold Scorpio's WCW debut. And in the uh, wrestling lore, it is claimed that the 450 splash that Scorpio did in this match was the first time that move had ever been executed on American soil. It's pretty cool. The Clash of the Sexes, Medusa versus Paul E. Basically, they have five minutes and they had to battle each, each other. I originally wanted to play this for you because it was very entertaining. Paul E. Dangerously on the mic is always gold, Paul Heyman. But uh, I, I tell you, everywhere that I researched, even WWE site, the audio quality has this horrible humming sound to it. And I don't get it. It's just really, really terrible. I did everything I could to edit that and try to, you know, wipe it out. But it just sounded dismal. If you want to watch the match, you could go on WWE's network site. And this would be the last appearance by Paul Heyman in WCW. Because not too long after that, Paul Heyman would be fired, um, basically being alleged that he falsified expense reports. You know, you fill out your expense reports, you submit it, you get reimbursed for some travel expenses. And then he would retaliate with a lawsuit against WCW claiming anti-sepatism uh, because, um, you know, they, they, he felt that there was some anti-Semitics there. Heyman's Jewish. They actually settled out of court. So there you go. Sting over Rick Rude in a King of Cable tournament semifinal. Uh, and Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas over Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes to win the Tag Team Championship. Now, I want to just let everybody know going forward that this week and next week especially is where almost all of the Survivor Series events took place. So there's going to be a heavy load of Survivor Series recaps on this show and next show. Now, next week's episode, I am going to play a couple of oddball moments from Survivor Series. Problem is when you start with one, then you got to start with a lot of others. 
but I got some really good ones to share. This week, there is one match for them, well, two for the, uh, that I wanted to share from Survivor Series. Quick matches, but I think you'll appreciate them. We'll get into that a little bit later. 1993, the Sandman over Don Morocco to win the NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling Heavyweight Championship. And the same week, they were hyping up Survivor Series for 1993, and um, you had Lex Luger's team and USA and everything. Undertaker was part of that team. And during an episode of Monday Night Raw, The Undertaker opened up his coat to reveal inside he had the Betsy Ross American flag stitched inside. And it looks so fucking cool. I don't know why WWE did not do a close-up of this thing. I got a pretty good shot of it on a synopsis, but this was The Undertaker showing that he's USA, All-American. And it was really cool. So if you want to see what it looked like, just check out the synopsis. 1994, Chris Candido wins the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. It was a one-night tournament. And remember, the belt was vacated back in August of that year when Shane Douglas threw it down in ECW event. So other participants in this tournament, Eddie Gilbert, Devin Storm, who you know is Crowbar, Johnny Gunn, Al Snow, Tony Anthony, Jerry the King Lawler, Osamu Nishimura, and Lou Perez. Chris Candido, God rest your soul. So missed by so many. Shout out to his brother. Johnny is such a cool dude, man. Tell you. Such a cool dude. 1995, one of the events that for me as a wrestling fan and being a diehard ECW fan going back to 93, this event from beginning to end, I could watch it over and over and over and over. I've had people over the years say to me, hey, DT, give me like two or three ECW events, you know, that I would thoroughly enjoy from beginning to end. This is one of them. And this, at that time, was my favorite all-time ECW event. The original ECW, this this still is in my top three of all-time favorite events. There was so much going on on this card that was just phenomenal. Now, I'm going to give you the match results first. Then I will get into some audio highlights. And the highlights, I promise you, you will enjoy tremendously. All right, first off, Sabu makes his return to ECW. You've been following this show for the last month or two, especially. Sabu was in WCW, had four matches. Next to last was the one where it, the Sheik threw the fireball. She, uh, Sabu was always on a paid-by appearance, did not have a contract in WCW. He was not fired because of the fireball incident. Just Sabu decided to leave. He wanted to work in ECW and to work Japan. So Sabu makes his return on this event, and that was a big deal because there was a lot of heat between Sabu and Taz. It was playing out on storylines. I played a promo, I think, last week or the week before of Taz cutting a promo on Sabu. And the interesting thing about it is, for those who remember that promo, that was 1996, not 1995. So we're right now in November of 95, ECW's one night, uh, not one night stand, Barely Legal, was in April of 1997. So the buildup between Taz and Sabu went from the fall of 95 to the spring of 97. That's how long the buildup was. I think, and that's why 
when they hugged for a brief moment after they won the match, and yes, you know, Sabu and RVD would beat up Taz and shit. It was more of a swerve. But that initial hug, you know, it just fans. I remember sitting at ringside clapping like they were like, all right. You know, they didn't like it because after all that build up, you don't want respect. You want you want this feud to continue. And it did continue, which was good. Um, but anyway. We had the Broad Street Bully and Donnie Allen. They were supposed to have a match. Bubba Ray Dudley came out to introduce the show, and Bubba Ray was very new in ECW at the time, and he was doing a stuttering gimmick. Um, he was first talking normal, and then he started to do the stuttering, got pissed off, and beat up both the Broad Street Bully and Donnie Allen. Conan beat Jason Knight in about 15 seconds. Taz was the special guest referee. Stevie Richards El, uh, over El Puerto Riqueño. The Pitbulls over the Eliminators. Rey Mysterio Jr. over Psychosis in a Mexican death match. And I always got a kick out of um, the uh, the opening introductions by um, Joe Gertner. Because he did it in English and he did it in Spanish. Sandman and Two Cold Scorpio over the public enemy to retain the ECW tag titles. Sandman was a heel, big time heel, but fans still appreciated him. And Scorpio was his tag partner. The public enemy were tremendously over, but at this time, fans knew that public enemy was going to likely go to WCW. Fans, please don't go, please don't go. And then what was funny about this match was... Originally, Scorpio challenges Flyboy Rocco Rock to a dance, dance off, a dance contest. So they're doing some moves, doing a robot, and then all of a sudden the crowd starts chanting, you know, for Sandman to dance. Sandman don't dance. So all of a sudden, remember, Sandman is also a heel. They got woman in their corner who is also a heel, very serious person. So Sandman starts dancing. And he's fucking tearing it up. The crowd is eating it up. Then the crowd wants to see woman dance. And woman starts moving her hips a little bit, everything. And Flyboy Rocco Rock gets a little excited. That's their way of stopping the dance off and they can start brawling. So I have some quick audio highlights of that. Axel Rotten over J.T. Smith. Um, you had a match between Bill Alfonso over Todd Gordon. Beulah McGillicuddy was the special guest referee. You know, at this time, Bill Alfonso was still doing a storyline where he was a referee, but he was also trying on behalf of the State Athletic Commission to cut down on the violence and this and that. Just, everybody hated Bill Alfonso. I'm telling you, I've always said it. Bill Alfonso transitioning from a regular referee to this character, one of the greatest jobs ever done from just a sole referee. You know, like for someone to go from that to the, a manager, just he did a phenomenal job. Um, but anyway, what ended up happening is towards the end of the match, Todd Gordon is pinning a uh, unconscious Bill Alfonso. Beulah McGillicuddy was, I guess, I don't remember what happened with her, but she didn't do the three count. Taz came in. And because remember, he refereed Conan's match earlier. So he's got the ref shirt on. He's about to do the three count. He reaches over and he starts pummeling on Todd Gordon. So he's turning heel. After he did this, he got on the mic and cut a very profanity-laced promo. I will share it with you momentarily. Mikey Whipwreck 
over uh, Steve Austin to retain East W Heavyweight Championship. Sandman originally was supposed to face Mikey because that was part of the stipulation earlier with uh, with a tag match. And um, Steve Austin had jumped to Sandman early on. Going to share with you Austin's promo at the beginning, you know, because this was right before he left. I think he had one more match in ECW, and then he went to WWF as the ringmaster. But you could hear a little bit of the transition to Stone Cold, especially in this promo. Sabu over Hack Myers, and the main event, which is, I can honestly say, Probably my favorite all-time match in ECW or two, number two. It is, it's got to be one or the other. Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer over Cactus Jack and Raven in a hardcore match. And it was just, I, I enjoyed it tremendously. It was so much fun. They were so innovative with the weapons that the fans brought at that time. Um, I mean, I, yes, as as you know, the year went on, you know, you would see Nintendo use and some really oddball things, but I absolutely loved that match. It was so much fun at the time. Um, so I'm going to share some clips of that as well. So sit back and relax. Here's some highlights from ECW November to remember 1995. The fans chanting, please don't go at the public enemy due to the fact that they are not the ECW World Tag Team Champions at this moment, and they are not obligated, not tied down, offers pouring in from WCW, the WWF. As you can see, public enemy, sometimes we gotta give a little credit, what credit is due. So right now at this side, I'm gonna give credit, what credit is due. Saw that one coming a mile away. But at any given point in time, if y'all feel like y'all don't want to take this ass for me, there's the dog. Don't bet on it. Now, fly boy, rock and rock.
excited, the champs cut him off. his fucking name all night, he ain't coming. Not one card, not one letter, not one phone call. What are you talking Tommy about? Dreamer nearly gets his fingers busted off his hand. Everybody's crying the blues about Tommy Dreamer. Terry Funk right in this building. Everybody's crying the blues about the legendary funk. What the hell is going on here? And then the almighty, your God, the king himself, Sabu, nearly gets his neck snapped in half by Chris Benoit, and everybody's pissing and fucking moaning about fucking Sabu. about me. What about him? Look at my man Todd now. Shut up. I'll be Todd Gordon. Look at him. Fuck Taz right now. Fuck you. Okay. And then, and then my buddy Paul Heyman. Hey, my wait a minute. My buddy Paul Heyman. Hey Taz, take your time, brother. Don't worry. You'll get back in the ring real soon. You'll get to back to work real soon. Yeah, but see, Paul, the problem lies here. My father ain't some fat lawyer that pays my way through. Hey, now, wait a minute. I gotta pay my fucking bills. Who cares about my family? Who cares about my house? Who cares about my I do. I do. I do. You do. I'll tell you who cares about me, and that's Bill Alfonso. No!
wouldn't sell out to the WWF. He wouldn't sell out to WCW. But he sells out to Bill Alfonso. Get in the ring. Look at your fucking head. Look at your head. I see better heads come out of a zipper. Get in the fucking ring. And for a man who hasn't said much in the past nine years, suddenly Taz is talking to him. miserable life. Don't try me. And after I fuck you up, he'll take you out. I don't believe this. It's time for an extreme rematch for the ECW Heavyweight Championship of the World. The Sandman has earned the right to challenge Mikey. Yes. 
champion and U.S. heavyweight champion. In fact, the only title that has ever eluded Steve Austin is a world heavyweight title. And tonight, I believe, will be his night.
Cactus Jack wants to start on the floor. Ian Tommy roll out, Raven and Cactus slide in. Cactus Jack playing mind games with Terry Funk early on in this tag team matchup. Raven cuts off Dream. Yeah, cool. 
Wrapping up 1995, WWF had Survivor Series from Landover, Maryland at the U.S. Air Arena. Match results, 1-2-3 Kid, Dr. Tom Pritchard, Rad Radford, and Skip over Barry Horowitz, Bob Holly, Hakushi, and Marty Jannetty. <clears throat> Aja Kong, Bertha Faye, Lioness Asuka, and Tomoko Watanabe with Harvey Whipman over Alondra Blaze, Chaparita Asari, Kayoko Inoue, and Saki Hasegawa. Not bad. Gold is over Bam Bam Bigelow, The Dark Side, Fatu, Henry O'Godwin, Savio Vega, and The Undertaker with Paul Berra over the Royals, Triple H, Isaac Yankum, Jerry Lawler, and King Mabel. Ahmed Johnson, the British Bulldog, Shawn Michaels, and Psycho Sid over Dean Douglas, Owen Hart, Razor Ramon, and Yokozuna. And the main event, no DQ match for the WWF heavyweight title, Bret Hart defeats Diesel to win. 1996 Survivor Series, Madison Square Garden, New York City. We had the in-ring debut of Rocky Maivia. Very memorable debut. Blue Chipper. That's all I remember from it. Anyway, Survivor Series match. Doug Furness, Phil LaFon, Henry Godwin, and Phineas Godwin over Owen Hart, Bridge Bulldog, Marty Jannetty, and Leaf Cassidy. Al Snow. Undertaker over Mankind. Mark Merrill, Rocky Maivia, Jake Roberts, and a stalker over Crush, Jerry Lawler, Triple H, and Goldust in a Survivor Series match. Bret Hart over Steve Austin. Another Survivor Series match that went to a no contest. Farouk, Vader, fake Razor Ramon, and a fake Diesel uh, versus Flash Funk, Jimmy Stuka, Savio Vega, and Yokozuna. Main event, Psycho Sid defeated Shawn Michaels to win the WWF Championship. Also, that week in 96, ECW had their November to Remember once again. This one, we had a confrontation between Sabu and Taz, and uh, the lights went out. Sabu was there. The lights went out again. They were gone. Teasing. This went all the way up until 1997, everyone. Big Stevie Cool over Davey, Morton, Tyler, Jericho. That was the debut of the Blue World Order. And they did a pretty damn good job. I actually, I enjoyed it tremendously. I still have my BWO t-shirt somewhere. Axel Rotten over Hack Myers. Bubba Ray Dudley over Devon Dudley. Yes, they feud at that time. RVD and Sabu versus the Eliminators went to a time limit draw for the ECW Tag Team Championship. It was the number one contenders match. Therefore, Todd Gordon named both teams number one contenders. And they would face the champions later on in a three-way dance. Chris Candido defeated Mikey Whipwreck. The Gangsters over RVD and Sabu and the Eliminators to retain the tag titles. Two Cold Scorpio over Devin Storm in a Loser Leaves Town match. Now, let me paint this picture a little bit. Two Cold Scorpio had signed with the WWF. He was coming in as Flash Funk. So they teased that he wasn't going anywhere. So he was wrestling a Loser Leaves Town match. And anybody that lost would have to leave town. So Two Cold Scorpio beats Devin Storm, so Devin Storm has to leave ECW. Two Cold Scorpio then defeats J.T. Smith in a loser-leave town match, so J.T. Smith has to go. Then Two Cold Scorpio faces Hack Myers in a loser-leaves town match, so Hack Myers has to go. Then Louis Spicoli came out. Wasn't really over with the crowd at the time. I think they tried to have him come over originally as a baby face. It didn't work. I mean, he was much better as a heel, Louis. God rest his soul as well. He defeats Two Cold Scorpio in a lose-leave town match. So that ended up being the final match for Two Cold Scorpio. You remember, he did return. 
you know, a little bit later after the Flash Funk gimmick. Didn't feel the same, to be honest with you. Sandman over Raven to retain East WWE Championship. Terry Funk and Tommy Dream over Brian Lee and Shane Douglas. That was a fun match. And wrapping up 1996, WWF had their Hall of Fame ceremony induction um, induction ceremony from the Marriott in New York City. The class of 1996 for the WWF Hall of Fame was Captain Lou Albano, Killer Kowalski, Baron Mikel Cicluna, Johnny and Jimmy Valiant, Johnny Rods, Pat Patterson, Vincent J. McMahon, and Superfly Jimmy Snooker. After the ceremony, there would be no more Hall of Fame ceremonies until 2004. Now, 1997, I get to enjoy this a little bit because everybody always focuses on only Raw and Nitro. Oh, what a difference a day makes. That may not be exactly how Rick Rude said it, but... And you know what, on WWE Network, I don't know why they have the date that they do with Rick Rude on ECW this week in 97. They're off by a few days. I don't know if that's to keep the focus on November 19th between... Raw and Nitro, but everybody always celebrates the moment that Rick Rude was on Raw and Nitro on the same night. Me, I prefer to expand it a little bit, and I like to say that within 48 hours, Ravishing Rick Rude was on ECW television, WWF television, and WCW television, because that's what actually happened. Here in New York on November 17th of 97, Rick Rude was on ECW TV announcing Bam Bam Bigelow. He, heavyweight champion. And that was interesting too because Bam Bam was technically a face and Rick Rude was getting booed out of the building. They knew that he had sold out. There was a lot of rumors that he was leaving WWF to go to WCW. I mean, he was in, in WWE for a while, but fans... You know, I'd heard rumblings that he was going to WCW. So believe me when I tell you, some people who were big-time ECW fans and those on the inner circle at that time, if they tell you that they knew Rude was going to WCW, they're not lying. But still, you had Rude on ECW TV announcing Bam Bam. Then he's on Raw less than 48 hours later introducing DX and DX's new music. And then... The same night, he's on Nitro cutting his memorable promo. So me, I always look at it that way. Within 48 hours, Rick Rude was on ECW TV, WWF TV, WCW TV. If you want to get a little audio reminisce as far as his promos for those three nights, now I'm going to tell you straight up, the Raw promo was just him introducing DX. So don't expect anything long, but... I put them all together and they're a lot of fun because the crowd in ECW is just really ragging him. And his promo in WCW was entertaining, I guess would be the right way to put it. So here you go. Flashback to 1997, Ravishing Rick Rude on ECW, WWF, and WCW. Same week. It's for all. 
to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. What's wrong in the world of professional wrestling is Shawn Michaels claiming to be world champion when he never beat Bret Hart. What's wrong with the world of professional wrestling is for Vince McMahon to instruct a referee to ring the bell in order to rob Bret Hart of his title. But on the other hand, what's right in the world of professional wrestling is for Bret Hart to abandon the Titanic and swim to the refuge of the NWO. What's right with the world of professional wrestling is NWO's course to destruct WCW. What's right with the world of professional wrestling is for the NWO to beat the living sh out of the man called Sting. Now the only thing wrong with that entire situation is that I didn't have the chance to participate. Sting, second verse is gonna be same as the first, a little bit rowdier and a whole lot worse because this time, Sting, I will partake. 
Jason Rude. Now sit back and relax and allow me the opportunity to share with you about 15 minutes of audio. You know, two weeks ago in 97 history, Bret Hart was screwed. Montreal Screwjob. Last week was the first episode after the Screwjob. You remember I talked about the ratings. The night after Survivor Series, they scored a 3.4 rating. Everybody tuning in to see what the fuck is going to go on next. We talked about that episode of Raw last week. It was not that good. And what's interesting about it was for the next bunch of weeks, the ratings just went down and down and down and down and down. And then finally at the end of December, and when we get to the end of December, you'll understand why, the ratings started to creep up a little bit. And to me, from the end of December onward is when WWF really started to gain momentum, in my opinion. But right around this time, we're not consciously realizing it, but subconsciously it's, it's developing the birth of Mr. McMahon the evil heel Mr. McMahon. Now remember, in 1993, we shared them earlier this year. Vince McMahon, USWA, testing out promos, this and that. Next week, I get to share a doozy because Vince McMahon did make a return appearance in the USWA in 96-97. Unfortunately, USWA was done by 97. That one is the tease of Mr. McMahon as well. So you had Vince two weeks after the Montreal Screwjob on Monday Night Raw doing an interview with Jim Ross. When you go back and listen to it again now in its entirety, you realize how much of what Vince McMahon was saying was legitimately shoot. You know, it, if you really listen to it, I mean, it's fascinating. It might be a little bit boring at times for some out there, but it's fascinating to really look back having so much knowledge soaked in from all the interviews and the stories and the reports and everything we've learned since then to hear this. Now, most of you out there, when you hear about the Vince interview on Raw, all you remember is the shiner on his eye when he says, Brett screwed Brett, and maybe one or two other sentences. This interview was a two-part series on Raw that time, and it went about 15 minutes. So now sit back, relax. I want to share with you the entire interview. I think you will really enjoy it. And... um Again, subconsciously, the beginning stages of Mr. McMahon. By the time Bret Hart stepped center stage for his matchup with Shawn Michaels and Survivor Series, he had apparently already closed the door on his WWF career. I was um, given my 30-day notice with WWF, and right now I'm under contractual review with both the WCW and the WWF. I'm leaning strongly towards going one way. In the end, his actions spoke volumes. Let's cut right to the chase. Seven days ago at the Survivor Series, did you or did you not screw Bret Hart? Some would say, I screwed Bret Hart. Bret Hart would definitely tell you, I screwed him. I look at it from a different standpoint. I look at it from a standpoint of the referee did not screw Bret Hart. Shawn Michaels certainly did not screw Bret Hart. Nor did Vince McMahon screw Bret Hart. I truly believe that Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart. And he can look in the mirror and know that. 
I'm sure in some parts of the country right now, there's a collective groan that you're not accepting responsibility, that you orchestrated the situation, and the fact that uh, there, people are not going to understand what you mean by Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart. So what do you mean by that? Well, I will certainly take responsibility for any decision I've ever made. I've never had a problem doing that. Not that all of my decisions are accurate. They're not. But when I make a bad decision, I'm not above saying I'm sorry and trying to do the best uh, about it that I can. Hopefully the batting average is, is pretty good. I make more good decisions than I do bad decisions. And as far as screwing Bret Hart is concerned, there's a time-honored tradition in the wrestling business that when someone is leaving, that they show the right amount of respect to the WWF superstars in this case, who helped make you that superstar. You show the proper respect to the organization that helped you become who you are today. It's a time-honored tradition, and Bret Hart didn't want to honor that tradition. And that's something I would have never, ever expected from Bret, because he is known somewhat as a traditionalist in this business. It would have never crossed my mind that Bret would not have wanted to show the right amount of respect to the superstars who, make, who helped make him, and the organization who helped make him what he is today. Nonetheless, that was Brett's decision. Brett screwed Brett. Some folks along the internet know that in 1996, Brett signed a 20-year contract with the WWF. Then I'm sure there are some at home now. Some folks are saying, well, how could Brett Hart be? Uh, he's got 18 years left on the contract. How can he leave? Did Bret Hart ask you to leave the WWF, or did you ask him to leave the WWF? This was a joint decision, and it, and it vacillated somewhat as well when we were making the decision. It was a joint decision from both Bret and me. And ultimately what happened was that the two of us got together and orchestrated the opportunity for Ted Turner's wrestling organization to, quote, steal Bret. I felt that from bu for business reasons, if Bret Hart and the salary we were paying him was not justified. And Bret felt that for, for creative reasons, and in fact that he had become sort of second banana in his own mind to Shawn Michaels who had, quote, stolen his spot. So for financial reasons on my part and creative reasons on Bret Hart's part, the two of us got together and decided, okay, let's do the very best we can for you, Bret. So the two of us orchestrated Bret Hart receiving a three-year deal in which he is paid $3 million a year, which I believe is the richest deal in all of professional wrestling. And that's working 125 days a year. So I felt from a personal standpoint that if Bret wasn't a great investment any longer, for the WWF, although I really didn't want him to go. But nonetheless, the least I could do for Brett is to help him help himself. And I told Brett, Brett, if in fact you do get this deal from Turner, I'm going to be the very first person personally to congratulate you. And I was. From a business standpoint, I didn't really want to lose Brett. He wasn't paying off from a financial standpoint, but nonetheless, I really didn't want to lose Brett. The, certainly the uh, bitterness of the loss at the Survivor Series could never be more prevalent. Uh, 
he stands in the ring and he, he spits in your face. Uh, shortly thereafter, he is destroying WWF television equipment. Were you prepared for what happened after the match? I was disappointed in Brett when he hit me. Very disappointed. Um, I sustained a concussion as a result of it with the vision problems to this day. I'll get over it. Um, and I didn't think it was the right thing to do. Brett seems to be crowing about that, uh, that I've read where, you know, he feels proud of, of striking me. And it wasn't a question of a confrontation because even at 52 years old, I dare say that Perhaps things would have been a little different if there were a confrontation. I allowed Brett to strike me. I had hoped that he wouldn't. I'd hoped that we could sit down and try and work things out as gentlemen. That's what I'd really hoped for, but that's not what happened. Have you considered uh, pressing charges or pursuing uh, legal remedies for that situation in his locker room? I have considered it. I think those options are still available. I'm not pursuing it at the moment. And I guess maybe it all depends on Brett as to whether or not I do. If you were only a story writer mm -hmm. and the Survivor Series was the final chapter in the life story of Bret Hart, the WWF years, how would you have preferred to write the final chapter? As a storyteller, uh, I would have hoped that Brett's story uh, would be a dramatic one. I would hope that, that Brett's story would be one that would give him dignity, that would give him the poise to state that I was maybe the greatest WWF superstar ever in terms of his departure. And one way of being able to give back to the company, being able to give back to those individuals, those superstars who helped you achieve the level of success that you have. When you know that you're leaving in a time-honored tradition, might have been, for argument's sake, that after the most grueling match that Brett ever had in his life, that Brett was pinned. But in that small moment of defeat, Brett would have stood straight up and shown the whole world what a true champion, both as a human being and a wrestling persona, he really is. And if I had been Brett, if I were writing the story, I can see Brett after a one, two, three, simply saying, okay, to his opponent, you got the best of me. I want to congratulate you. I want to stick my hand out and congratulate you. And furthermore, I want everyone in the whole locker room to watch my match so that I can show for those who follow in my footsteps the way in a time-honored tradition this is to be done. To show every individual, every secretary, everyone in Titan Sports, the World Wrestling Federation, who counts on me to do the right thing, that I was there, that I was a superstar, maybe the greatest of ever, and I went out the way a true champion would go out.
are you able to step back and, and object, objectively look at this thing and, and evaluate your friend, your perhaps former friend, Bret Hart, the human being, and have sympathy for this, this man? Sympathy? I have no sympathy for Brett whatsoever, none. I have no sympathy for someone who was supposed to be a rustling traditionalist, not doing the right thing for the business that made him, not doing the right thing for the fans and the performers and the organization who helped make him what he is today. Brett made a very, very selfish decision Brett's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. Brett screwed Brett. I have no sympathy whatsoever for Brett. Welcome back, everybody, to the War Zone. And now it's time for part two of our exclusive interview with Vince McMahon on why Brett Hart has left the WWF. Now, this is a crazy question. Would you welcome Brett Hart back if he just said, you know, Vince, I've, I've changed my mind. Can I come back? Would you allow him to return to the WWF? I mean, he's spit in your face, uh, notwithstanding destroying television monitors and equipment, certainly notwithstanding the fact that he punched you. Mm -hmm. uh, would you would you allow him to ever come back to the WWF if that was an option? This is a strange business, and yes, I would. Uh, we would have to have a real frank understanding. I would want to hear Brett say, Vince, I'm sorry. You know, um, I didn't mean to be selfish. I just kind of lost it there for a while. Um, and I have no problem saying, Brett, geez, I'm sorry that I had to do what I had to do as well. Um, would I welcome him back? I also would tell Brett uh, no more free shots. Uh, I'd, I'd want that from a strictly from a man's standpoint, I'd want him to know that, okay? And that uh, in the future, if we're gonna have problems along those lines in a locker room or anywhere else, that okay, we're gonna have them, but no more free shots. Uh, yeah, I, I, if Brett could tear up his contract uh, with the other guys right now uh, and return, I'd welcome Brett back under those conditions. His, it was his motivation do you, you believe his motivation then primarily? He says he didn't leave here for the money. There were signs in the arena um, following Survivor Series, Brett sold out. Brett seems to be sensitive to that subject that he doesn't want to be known as someone who sold out. I'm proud of the fact that I helped Brett sell out. And that's what Brett did, he sold out. And it's not a big deal because I helped him do it. So do I think that Brett left for the money? Um, I think that when you're making $3 million a year and you're working 125 days of that year, I think Brett sold out. And I don't blame him for selling out. I helped him sell out. As a matter of fact, you know, I would suggest there could be a long line outside the, the next locker room with wrestlers begging me, Vince, help me sell out. So do I think he sold out? Yeah. And I don't think that, you know, every time Brett says, no, I didn't do it for the money, I think that Brett loses credibility every time he says that. Did this whole ugly ordeal with Bret Hart affect you more professionally, the businessman side of Vince McMahon, or 
the personal side of Vince McMahon? From a business side, the WWF will go on beyond Bret Hart. From a personal side, it definitely has affected me. I think that Bret and I, you can't end a 14-year relationship like was ended without having feelings. I regret that I felt that I was forced into making the decision that I made. I regret that Brett didn't do the right thing for the business and for himself because it wouldn't have cost him one dollar less with his deal with Turner. I regret that, that, his, that his fans, if, if there is such a thing separate from WWF fans, are in any way hurt by any of this. I regret that his family is enduring, having to endure this tirade that Brett seems to be on. I regret that a member of my family, my son, had to witness some of this, especially in the locker room. I regret all of that from a personal standpoint, yet steadfast remain that I made a tough decision, but it was the right decision for the WWF fans and the WWF superstars that remain here loyal to us. If you had the opportunity to speak with Brett, uh, and now's not a bad opportunity, because you know he's watching. Everybody involved in this situation is watching this right now. What would you say to him now? Probably what I said to him in the locker room. Um, and that is that he made a mistake that I believe he'll regret from a professional standpoint. Didn't have to be made that way. I felt I had to do what I had to do for my company and our fans and our superstars that remain here. And I'm unwavering in that point of view. And perhaps Brett is unwavering in his point of view. I don't know that we'll ever get together. I hope we will one day. It's too bad that a 14-year relationship was destroyed because one member of that relationship forgot that we're in the sports entertainment business. Forgot where he came from. When will you be over this? I'm over it now. At the same time, Brett has been such a part of the WWF. Brett will always, a part of Brett, will always be here in the World Wrestling Federation. And I'm going to remember the good times. I'm going to remember the, all the things that we did with Brett 
in which he performed to the greatest degree possible and told those wonderful stories. Uh, I'm going to remember Brett as the excellence of execution. Um, it's just too damn bad that in the end, Brett really wasn't the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And he had that opportunity to live up to that in his final match with the WWF, and he failed. And at that time, you'd think, you know, Mr. McMahon, vile, you know, arrogant, womanizer, aggressive, abuse of power. That promo, he's just calm, disappointed, a little bit dejected. And yet still, a lot of people point to that night as the beginning of the Mr. McMahon character. So there you go. Now, as far as the ratings, I said I did a little research with ratings. Let me just show you the effect of the Montreal Screwjob. And I personally think the first couple of weeks after, they really did not capitalize on it. Next week is the anniversary, and they brought out the midget Bret Hart and a few other things. I don't want to jump ahead too much, but again, the night after Survivor Series, that's when they should have really struck while the iron was hot. And that show, as I called last week, talked about it, was not that good. So anyway, two weeks leading up to Survivor Series, WWE's ratings were 2.3 and a 2.6. The night after Survivor Series, it jumped to a 3.4. Then after that, it went to a 3.2, 3.1, 3.0, 2.8, 2.7. Then right before Christmas, it jumped back up to a 3.1. And the last week in December of 97, it jumped to a 3.6. So when we get, again, late December, you'll understand why. But for that Six weeks just felt like WWE really, you know, hit a little bit of a wall that they, they, they did not put out as good of a product as they should have at the time. 1998 Survivor Series, Keel Center, St. Louis, Missouri. Only the second time in history, the other time being 1992, there were no traditional Survivor Series matches, but they did do one night tournament called Deadly Games. I know everybody used to love the song, this event. This event is one of the more popular events going back and looking at it. You know, the card itself wasn't extremely strong, but we remember this with fond memories. Sunday night heat matches from that night, too much over the Hardy Boys. Bob Holly and Too Cold Scorpio over the Legion of Doom. Val Venus over Tiger Ali Singh. Then you have the Survivor Series. Sable over Jacqueline to win the WWF Women's Championship. Mark Merrow was a special guest referee. And I remember her doing a Sable bomb onto Mark Merrow outside the ring, which was pretty impressive. New, New Age Outlaws over the nation. Owen Hart and D'Lo Brown. And the Headbangers to win the WWF Tag Team Championship. Deadly Game Tournament. First round. Mankind over Dwayne Gill in 30 seconds. Al Snow over Jeff Jarrett. Stone Cold Steve Austin over the boss man. X-Pac and Steven Regal fought to a no contest. Therefore, they were both eliminated. Ken Shamrock over Goldust. The Rock over the big boss man. Triple H was originally supposed to face The Rock, but was injured prior to the event. So Mr. McMahon brought the boss man back into the tournament and was quickly defeated. 
Second round, Undertaker over Kane, Mankind over Al Snow, The Rock over Ken Shamrock. Steve Austin was given a bye since X-Pac and William Regal's uh, double elimination. And in semifinals, Mankind over Steve Austin, The Rock over The Undertaker, and the de deadly game final, The Rock over Mankind by submission to win the title. Now, in the annals of wrestling history, that made The Rock the youngest WWF champion in history. It got overlooked a little bit because Vince McMahon called for the bell while The Rock had Mankind in the sharpshooter. Yes, Vince McMahon and the WWF could not resist one year later doing another screw job. Whatever. So, the entire Deadly Games event, I enjoyed it tremendously. The following night on Raw, this was not good. It just, this were, we were right in the middle of the storyline where Hawk has the problems with substance abuse and he's acting very erratically. But in the meantime, you have Animal in the ring with Draz and Draz is wearing the face paint, you know, acting as the third member of the Legion of Doom. That did not sit well with Hawk. Hawk trying to get, get attention to himself comes out. And this week in 98, during a match, I believe was the Brood versus Animal and Draws. Uh, Hawk comes out. I don't want to give away what happens next. Christian is a WWF light heavyweight champion. The young man on the outside. Getting a little, we want Hawk chant going here. Some of the fans are, and I tell you, Draws may be wanting Hawk back pretty soon if he suffers much more of this abuse. Look at that. You know, I've known Hawk and Animal 15 years, and you always hate to see someone, whether you like them or not, have those kind of personal problems. It just it, it affects family, it affects friends, and folks, it's just, it's not the way to live your life. You know, and... Stone Cold is thinking right now. Yeah. Stone Cold, Steve Austin will meet The Rock here tonight for the WWF title. There's a cover. It'll be live. And well, there's Hawk right there. What's he doing? Hawk is here. Powerbomb by Animal on Edge. What is he doing? I thought he was going to come out. He's climbing up on the, the edge of the Titantron. I have no idea what Hawk is doing. Titantron is about, I don't know, 100 feet off the floor. What is he doing? Probably. What is he doing, Get inside the ring. Get inside the Is this guy messed up again tonight? I don't JR, know. JR, what kind of shape is he in? you got to wonder. You always wonder, unfortunately, for Where is this, he type, going? this type of condition, what kind of mental, mental and physical state Hawk could be in. My God, that's a little dangerous up there, King. A little. And uh, the animal been been counted out, but look, this is not good. Hawk is up there, folks. He's up there without a net. Oh my God! I don't like this. Calm down. Nothing is worth this. This wrestling business ain't worth this. Live with this. No, no. Calm down. Calm down. Glory. Careful. Calm down. It's a bad situation, Jr. Folks, 911 has been called. Apparently, Hawk has threatened to jump. He's misleading you. You don't know. Calm down. Be careful. Look at this. There's Paul Ellering. Hawk. Hawk, I wish I could say I know all you feel, but I can't. What I do know, Hawk, is that you're a troubled spirit. 
was a Hawk and Animal's Hawk. first manager. Listen to so me, 15 Hawk. years ago. Remember when you, Animal, and I would drive down the highway and you told us the story of your mother six months before she died, Hawk. You knew about it, and she knew about it, and every day she told you. She told you the things Has failed, Hawk. Hillary, you're not alone. You are the beginning Hawk, of my end. Hawk, please come down here. I promise you, you Hawk. An animal. We'll take it. And we'll take it. Sticky. One minute at a time. And I can't. We'll take it wait. one hour at a you time. You stay down, bro. Don't you even come Hawk. Hawk. Don't you kill me. No, be careful. Be careful. Be careful up there. Mike. Hi. So what? It hasn't been our best year. So what? There's always next year. Don't worry about it. Keep him Take away. Take it easy. This is not good. Take it easy up there. Get up. Hey, get the hell away from me. You're the last person I want up here. Get away. It's all right, brother. Hawk, come on now. Be careful up there. Stay hey, down. let Draws help you. Hold on. Fall. Mike. Mike, be careful. Do Don't move. Brother touch for so long. Don't, don't, don't move. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Brother, it's all right. Don't move. Get a shirt. No. Oh, what? God Almighty. Good God. Oh, my God. Good God. He fell. Folks, uh, tragedy has struck here on the uh, war zone. Moments ago, Draws uh, trying to uh, convince Hawk to come off the Titans arm. There you see, you know, I don't know if Draws, I don't want to say pushed him, but here's the reaction that uh, that Animal had when he saw Hawk fall from the top of the Titantron King, and Draws should have left this up to the professionals. Well, I, I'm, I still can't believe it. Have we got any word yet at all of it? Look, look at this. He grabs his shirt, but I hate to speculate that it was a, an intentional shove, but uh, we are live now, ladies and gentlemen, back here in the, uh, of course, Paul Ellering, currently the manager of DOA for many, many years, was the manager of the Road Warriors. And uh, folks, we'll get you a report on this, we promise. We promise as soon as we possibly can uh, here tonight. I don't know, man. I, I just did not like it at the time. Paul Ellering, his acting was excellent. And it's nice to see Paul Ellering still doing stuff here and there in wrestling and especially NXT. But uh, uh, this was not a good one. I did not like that at all. Uh, later on in that night, Dwayne Gill did defeat Christian to become the light heavyweight champion. And for the next 15 months, Gill held that title but didn't defend it all that much. He would eventually drop it um, in February of 2000 to S.A. Rios, who, if you remember, came in with Lita. 
So there you go. Now, as I said at the beginning of the show, this week in 99 is when uh, Kevin Nash did that impersonation of Sid. And then Sid with the botch in his promo. Well, there were a couple other things that went down that night that were not all that great. You had Norman Smiley over Jimmy Hart in a hardcore match. Jimmy Hart's wearing like an armor suit. And they're hitting each other in the head with like weapons. But meanwhile, Norman Smiley has a helmet on. Jimmy Hart has a fucking knights, metal knights. So there's no, no you know, impact of the moves at all. Hearing Norman Smiley do the screaming gimmick, I loved. I just, Norman Smiley is such a good guy. I had the opportunity to talk to him quite a bit when he was on the Mass Maniac show a few times. What a, just a really nice man. And believe it or not, I actually was indirectly involved in a match with Norman Smiley in uh, USA Pro Wrestling. There was a little storyline thing that I was doing with uh, Low Life Louis Ramos, and I had Screaming Norman Smiley come out to face Louis Ramos. And then because he defeated Louis, I had someone else come out, someone else come out, and in the end, uh, Louis got to uh, put me through a table, break a bottle over my head. I got slammed onto thumbtacks and loved every minute of it. Also, something else happened on Nitro this week. Um, Vince Russo, who is now there, doing a lot of gimmick matches. If you remember when he first showed up in WCW, you never saw his face. You would only hear his voice. There would be chairs and certain wrestlers and personalities would sit there and they would hear, you know, being berated, given instructions, told things from Vince Russo, the powers to be. So this week he's got the Mexicans sitting all in the office. And this led to a match and unfortunately, during this match, it led to the return of Dr. Death, Steve Williams, who was accompanied by Oklahoma. Yes, Oklahoma made his debut this week as well. I originally put a screenshot of Oklahoma in the synopsis, but you know what? Out of respect to JR and just how disgusting that whole gimmick was, I decided not to. So here are the highlights from uh, the Mexicans in Vince Russo's office, the match that ensued next, the return of Dr. Death Steve Williams, and the, the debut of Oklahoma. And this all can be done within six and a half minutes. I see Lou Ferrigno Jr. over here, but I don't see Hoovy. You guys know where Hoovy is? Uh, I don't know. What is this? Hey, 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 what's going hey, on? Where was it? Oh, you're going to have a big celebration? Yeah, what's up? Are you going to celebrate tonight? Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me what we're going to do. We're going to have a big party tonight. Now, I know mid-carders don't make a lot of money, what? but tonight I'm going to give you guys the opportunity to make a lot of money. What we're going to do is we're going to take Hoovy's pinata. We're going to hang it high above the ring. We're going to give each of you sticks. Now, you can beat yourselves with the sticks, beat each other with the sticks, or beat the pinata with the stick, because inside of that pinata will be a check for $10,000. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys like that? Yeah. Beat each other's brains out. That's Get me brains. Kill each other. Hasta la vista. See ya. Doors, $10,000 check in that pinata who can break it and secure the check. And I've been told that Mike Kinney is going to get a word with Goldberg immediately following this match. And remember, top of the hour, Goldberg will go after one-on-one Kurt Hennig. Top of the hour. And with Hennig's career on the line. This Luchador 
Players are battling for 10 grand. Yeah, and that pinata's already fall, falling off, and they don't realize it yet. All you know, right. at 10 grand, what you can do in Mexico, you can buy half the country. Hold on, hold, hold on now. impressive athletes ever before seen. Four-time All-American from the great state of Oklahoma, football, wrestling. Big Eight champion, football and wrestling. Three-time Orange Bowl, one Fiesta Bowl, and a Sun Bowl. He's even wrestled the great Olympic champion, Bruce Baumgartner. Now, what are you doing here? Are you trying to call a match here? Step aside, let me no, show you how it's done. I, re I replaced you one time. I Go ahead. And I replaced you too, son, so just scoot on down there. I can't believe this. It's a slugfest! It's a slugfest! Oh! Oh, look at that! Drop kick from the top row! That's how you do it. You gotta speak in sound bites, son. You speak in sound bites, and that's all you need to do. Tony, this he's guy knows what stick. he's doing. He's got the stick! He has got the stick! Stats? What? Everybody loves football, son. You know all about football. I know everything there is about football. I've done everything. I've done everything in this business. Yeah, I've been a referee. I've set up rings. I've negotiated talent. Burn bridges. I've, booked, yeah. I've been the greatest. I'm the greatest play-by-play -play man there's ever been in this business. <laughs> and if you don't believe him, ask him. Exactly. I'll tell you, son. You know we got some hot action in the ring tonight. And speaking of hot action, I got my. Uh, my barbecue sauce is going to be coming out very, very soon. Well, good. It's going to be on the store shelf somewhere in the next 23 years. <laughs> well, I knew you. Back to the action okay. in the ring here. Back to the action in the ring. Oh! Ow! Stick! 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 He knows stick. <laughs> oh, I knew you wanted your job back. You've been calling for years, but this is crazy. Well, hell, you replaced me, I replaced you. Tit for tat, son. Whatever. Tit for tat. I never thought I'd witness this. Like I said, you know, I want to tell everybody something else about Dr. Jeff Steve Williams. I feel sorry for the boys in the locker room here in WCW. Dr. Jeff Steve Williams is going to go through this locker room like a hemophiliac through a package of Band-Aids. He's the only one whose name I know, so I'm just going to call his name. Hoover! Elbow! Elbow! Who's your daddy, Silver King? He knows what he's doing. He's got the piñata! Candy! 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 $10,000 check in there. Business is about to pick up, gentlemen.
got the check. Yes, he does. Silver King has a check. No, he don't. My boy, Dr. Depp does. There's Silver King's El Recito. Passed over the head. Passed over the head. Here we go. What a bewitching display of testosterone. Did you say That's this was a slobber knocker? That was definitely a slobber knocker. Now, this week in 99, WWF also had a couple of memorable moments. Um, one that I got a kick out of. One a lot of people call absolute wrestle crap. I know Steve Austin in a recent interview said it's the worst storyline that he ever been involved in. And, you know, a debut of a particular wrestler you may have heard of before. Uh, first off, let's get into the crap. Triple H during Survivor Series shown brawling with Steve Austin in the back. Triple H runs away. Steve Austin is looking for Triple H. They show a camera inside a parking lot. Steve Austin is in the parking lot looking for Triple H. And then this happens. The World Wrestling Federation Championships await inside a triple threat match here today. Hey, wait a minute. There's... Oh, Triple H getting run in Austin's face. First it was a rock, and now Austin. What did he spit in his face? Uh, Triple H now running, and Austin, chase, Austin is chasing the WWF champion. I don't know where they're, where they're headed, King, but Austin is chasing Triple H. What is Triple H thinking? First the rock, and now... Oh, wait a minute. There's a road dog, and x pop Austin outside here in the parking area. Parking her garage looking for Triple H. Yeah, come here, you little bastard. What is this? Wait a minute. Good God Almighty! For God's sakes! The car just ran over Austin! The car just ran over Austin! Stone Cold just got run down! Oh my God! Oh my. Oh, oh dear God. Later on, we would learn that Rikishi was uh, the one who drove the car and he did it for The Rock and blah, 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 blah. Didn't like it. But it was their way of writing off Steve Austin so he could recoup from injuries and take time off. Now, random Survivor Series match, share with you. Big Show. Originally, it was the Big Show, the Blue Meanie and Kai and Tai versus Bossman, Albert, Midian, and Viscera in a four-on-four match. Before the event starts, Big Show destroys Meanie and Kai and Tai. So Big Show is alone in his Survivor Series match. And I get a kick out of this match because for those that may not know, Big Show used to smoke and he used to be a heavy smoker. And I always looked at this match and said, you know what? Picture the Big Show lighting a cigarette in the back right before he comes out. Then you have his match and realize that he could have lit the cigarette, came out for his match, finished the match, walked to the back, and finished his cigarette. This is how Big Show beat four guys in less than 90 seconds. Oh my gosh, look at this. And the Big Show, 7'2", 500 pounds. He's all by himself as a Big Show against four men. But the man the Big Show wants is the Big Boss Man. Oh, look out! Oh my God! 
bombs in that choke slam. Wait a minute, you're kidding. No! Many have been eliminated in record time in Prince Albert. He's 370. Oh my gosh! And he just got drilled with a choke slam. No way! Big show now and big bis. That same Survivor Series, we had the in-ring debut, WWE debut of Kurt Angle. And, you know, he faced Sean Stasiak that night. Match was bland. And, you know, the fans, they were new to Kurt Angle. I mean, they knew who he was. We were getting the vignettes and the promos. I mean, do you remember this vignette that we used to hear all the time? Olympic gold medal champion, Kurt Angle. People obviously know that I was an Olympic champion, but I've had success my whole life. I was a state champion and junior national champion in high school, a two-time NCAA champion, three-time All-American in college, athlete of the year three times in college. I was an athlete of the year four times after college on the Olympic level. I was a five-time national champion on the Olympic and world level, a 1995 world champion, and in 1996, I shocked the world when I won the Olympic Games. I believe that destiny brought me to win this gold medal, and that it's taken me to the next level, the WWF, where I had the opportunity to further showcase my talents. Kurt Angle, the most celebrated real athlete in WWF history. So, Kurt Angle goes to the ring. He's having a regular match with Sean Stasiak. The fans are booing. They're calling boring. This is and that. And during that match, Kurt Angle actually gets on the mic and tells the crowd, you don't boo an Olympic gold medalist. And that was the beginning of Kurt Angle's career. And obviously, it is one of the greatest of our generation. Let's be honest. So, matches from Survivor Series that night. The Godfather, D'Lo Brown, and the Headbangers over the Dudleys and the Acolytes. Kurt Angle over Sean Stasiak, Val Venus, Mark Henry, Gangrel, and Steve Blackman over the British Bulldog and a Mean Street Posse in the Survivor Series match. You have Mae Young, Fabulous Moolah, Tori, and Deborah over Ivory, Luna, Jacqueline, and Terry Reynolds. And this was done under Sudden Death Rules. Kane over X-Pac by DQ. Big Show again over Bossman, Albert, Midian, and Viscera. Chine over Chris Jericho to retain the IC Championship. Too Cool and the Hollies over Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys. Um, the New Age Outlaws over Al Snow and Mankind to retain the tag titles. Big Show over Triple H and The Rock in the triple threat match to win the WWF Championship. It's a pretty decent night for Big Show. 
And he could have had his smoke do his match and still continue to smoke when he was done. Wrapping up 1999, this week in 99, WWE signed fitness model and radio host Trish Stratus to a three-year developmental deal. They were bringing her in to become a wrestler. And, you know, what's really cool is that Trish Stratus was already a wrestling fan. In fact, if you go on YouTube, she made some appearances on TSN's Off the Record before she ever uh, was signed by WWE. And there's even one where she's sitting next to Edge and they're talking about hockey and wrestling and other stuff. So it was, she obviously had one of the greatest women's careers, you know, of the Attitude Era and of our generation. She is very beloved. And to go from straight-up fitness model with no wrestling background to her career, I think she did a pretty damn good job with it. So 2000, WWF had their Survivor Series pay-per-view in Tampa, Florida at the Ice Palace. Sunday night heat match, Val Venus over Jeff Hardy. Main matches, six-person mixed tag, Steve Blackman, Crash Holly, and Molly Holly over Test Albert and Trish Stratus. The Radicals with Terry Reynolds over Billy Gunn, China, Kate Quick, and the Road Dog. Kane over Chris Jericho. William Regal over Hardcore Holly by DQ to retain the European Championship. The Rock over Rikishi. Ivory retains the Women's Championship over Lita. Kurt Angle retains the WWF Championship over The Undertaker. Four on four Survivor Series elimination match. The Dudleys and the Hardys defeat Edge and Christian in the right to censor, which was Bull Buchanan and God, the Good Father. Main event, no DQ match. Steve Austin versus Triple H ended in a no contest. How did it end in a no contest? I'm not giving it away. Watch it for yourself. Too much to digest here. But I will let you know that this week in history also... The video game No Mercy for Nintendo 64 came out, went on sale. I can honestly say for long-time video game fans who played wrestling games, No Mercy is looked at in fond memory. We One of the best video games that had ever been put out for that era. I mean, obviously, video games have just totally changed dramatically since then, but um, No Mercy... For Nintendo 64 was a good one. I enjoyed it. Um, wrapping up 2000, WCW was in Germany, and they had their uh, German-only pay-per-view. They did not air it in the United States, believe it or not. Chronic over the Filthy Animals. Mike Awesome uh, last eliminated Alex Wright during a spot in the European Cup qualifying match. Other participants that night, Lance Storm, Norman Smiley, Elix Skipper, Mike Sanders, General Erection, Hugh, uh, Sean O'Hare, Ray Mysterio Jr., Ernest Miller, Kiwi, Conan, Billy Kidman, Mark Jindrak, Finley, Disco Inferno, Brian Clark, Brian Adams. Kiwi over Elix Skipper, Ernest Miller over Mike Sanders to become the commissioner of WCW. General Erection over Lance Storm by DQ in a uh, match for the U.S. title. Norman Smiley over Fit Finley in an Oktoberfest hardcore match. Alex Wright and General Erection over Mark Jindrak and Sean O'Hare to win the Tag Team Championship. Kevin Nash over Mike Awesome and Alex Wright to advance to the European Cup Final. Booker T over Scott Steiner to retain the WCW Heavyweight title. And the main event, Sting over Kevin Nash by submission to win the WCW European Cup Boxer Alex Schultz was the special guest referee. 
2001, WWF had the Survivor Series pay-per-view from Greensboro, North Carolina, the Greensboro Coliseum. And remember, this was the end of the invasion angle. Basically, you know, we had Team WWF versus Team Alliance. The Alliance was Shane and Steph. WWF was Vince. And after this event, we would have, you know, sole ownership, or so we thought, because of what happened the next night on Monday Night Raw. First matches. Just incredible. Lance Storm and Raven representing the Alliance over Albert, Scotty Tuhati, and Spike Dudley representing WWF. Christian, who was the European champ at the time, representing the Alliance over Al Snow. William Regal representing the Alliance over Tajiri with Tori Wilson. If, I, if The other participants obviously are Team WWF, so that's why I'm just mentioning Alliance. Anyone else you know is WWF. Edge, who was uh, the U.S. champion, he defeated Test, who was the Intercontinental champion and representing the Alliance. It was a unification match to unify the IC and U.S. championships. The Dudleys, who were the WCW tag team champs representing the Alliance, defeated the Hardys, uh, who were the WWF tag champs, and that was a steel cage unification match to unify both tag titles. Test on behalf of the Alliance won, eliminating Billy Gunn in an immunity battle royal. This guaranteed Test cannot be fired for at least a year. In a six-pack challenge match for the vacated WWF Women's Championship, you had Trish Stratus representing WWF. She defeated uh, Lita and Jacqueline, who also represented the WWF, Jazz, Ivory, and Molly Holly, who represented the Alliance. And this was the first women's title match since China had left the company uh, in May as the women's champion. Main event, Team WWF, The Rock, Chris Jericho, The Undertaker, Kane, and The Big Show, defeating the alliance of Steve Austin, Kurt Angle, Booker T, Rob Van Dam, and Shane McMahon in a winner-take-all match. This brought the invasion angle to a close. The sole survivor was The Rock. So now we get to the next night on Monday Night Raw. The very beginning of the show, we have uh, Vince McMahon, quote-unquote, firing Paul Heyman. We also had the return of Jerry the King Lawler to commentating. He had been gone since February of 01 because WWF had released his then-wife, Stacy Carter, the cat. So Jerry Lawler was back into commentating. Later on on Raw, Shane and Stephanie McMahon were told by Vince their services were no longer needed, blah, 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 blah. They were removed from the building. Vince McMahon did a moment of benevolence. He offered to rehire a member of the Alliance as long as they agreed to kiss his ass. William Regal took the offer, and William Regal kissed Vince McMahon's ass. I'm sure you all remember that. Then at the very end, Vince McMahon was going to award the WWF Championship to Kurt Angle since he helped WWF team win the match at Survivor Series. Then all of a sudden, this happened. We are back live, ladies and gentlemen, here in Charlotte, North Carolina, on the Raw Zone, here on the new TNN. And, and uh, apparently, there they are, Christian McMahon is carrying the WWF title over his shoulder, King. I can't quite figure out exactly what's going on here. I mean, how can, how can Mr. McMahon make Kurt Angle the WWF champion when, well, when Stone Cold is not here? Stone Cold is the WWF champion. Angle left the Survivor Series and took the WWF title belt with him. And in the in 
all the confusion at the end with the WWF one, but I don't, I don't really understand this. Where do you think Stone Cold is? Having a Steve, Steve Weiser somewhere? Trying to drown his sorrows? That could be. We don't converse much anymore, as you know, so I couldn't really tell you, but you and he used to be thick, you know. I just don't understand the meaning of this. I would just like to say on behalf of every World Wrestling Federation fan in this arena, I would like to say, I would like to say to Kurt Angle, thank you. I'm going to have to second that. Now, wait a minute. And Come on. No, no, let me repeat that. On behalf of every person in this arena, Folks, thank you, Kurt Angle. He's speaking for everyone. Thank no respect. What don't these people get about this? He saved the WWF single. Kurt Angle, Angle is an Olympic hero. He's an American hero. He's a WWF hero. And by God, like it or not, he's your hero. He's our hero. My hero, certainly. Uh-oh. And since Stone Cold Steve Austin has chosen to be typical Stone Cold, and that is, don't show up yep. the night after you're defeated. That's typical of Stone exactly. Cold. Exactly. What? 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 As far as I'm concerned, wherever Stone Cold is, he can stay there. Wow. Because we need a World Wrestling Federation champion. We need a champion with dignity. That's Kurt. We need a champion with class. Mr. Angle. We need a champion with credibility. Kurt Angle. We need Kurt Angle as the World Wrestling Federation Champion. Here, here! Wait a second. What? What? I mean, you don't agree? I, I don't understand. I was hoping Austin would be here so that I would have the distinct honor of stripping him of the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Whoa! Oh. In the absence of that, Kurt, allow me as the sole owner of the World Wrestling Federation, allow me to... Wait a second. What is that? It can't be what I think it could be. But it is! What? There's the Nature Boy! What's he doing here? Nature Boy Ric Flair! He lives here in Charlotte! And there's a standing ovation! City. Wait a minute. See, what? He's got no business here. He's a 
pretty typical because you're almost forgotten, but uh -oh. this is your hometown, isn't it, Ric Flair? That's why he's here. Cheap pop, listen. Well, Mr. Flair, why don't you listen to the crowd and tell me this is my hometown or not? This is your hometown, Charlotte, North Carolina. That's great. But this is my ring, and you're standing in it, and I want an explanation. There you go. The explanation that I'm going to give you all revolves around the fact that I bet on a winner last night. Woo! Bet on a winner? What's he talking what about? What the hell are you talking about? I sat home. On the big side of town, in that big house, and I bet on a winner last night. Money but Perry Angle, let me just say this to you. You're a man that's got an Olympic gold medal. you got a legacy. You're an ambassador. This is no way you want to win the world title. Be Kurt Angle. Be the gold medal winner. And be a man that wins by being the best man. So you came down here because it's your hometown to give us your opinion. How nice, Mr. Flair. Nice to see you. Now, goodbye. You want, you want me to just cut it quick right away? I fell out a window last night. And do you know that when Shane and Stephanie sold their stock to that consortium, that the consortium, woo! Wait a minute. What is he saying? Wait a second. The consortium? You don't mean... Woo! The consortium was me! And now you and I are limousine riding, jets flying, kids stealing, wheeling dealing, setting against. You know why? Because we're partners. What? Oh, my God. Flair and McMahon are partners? Yeah. Vince, he's going to... The nature boy and Vince McMahon.
man in sports entertainment has been altered at the hands of nature boy Ric Flair. Uh-oh. Look at this. And Stone Cold once again in possession of the WWF Championship. But by God, you've got to wonder for how long. Vince, what are you going to do about this? What's going to happen here, JR? I tell you, the return to WWF by Ric Flair since, what, 93 was really cool. And sadly, next week on uh, the episode that we do, 47, it is the storyline beginning of the retirement of Ric Flair. You'll hear that next week, and we'll discuss it then. So this is gonna it's going to be a lot of Ric Flair memories coming up very soon on the remainder of the show. So... 2002 Survivor Series from Madison Square Garden, New York City. Now, obviously, you know, there's no more Invasion storyline, so these are just straight-up WWF matches. Jeff Hardy, Bubba Ray Dudley, and Spike Dudley over three-minute warning in an elimination tables match. Kidman over Jamie Noble to win the Cruiserweight title. Victoria over Trish Stratus in a hardcore match to win the Women's Championship. Big Show over Brock Lesnar to win the WWE Championship. Um, and just an, of note, this was Brock Lesnar's first ever pinfall loss in WWE. Los Guerreros over Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit and Edge and Rey Mysterio in a three-team elimination match to win the WWE tag titles. Main event, Shawn Michaels over Triple H, Booker T, Rob Van Dam, Kane, and Chris Jericho in the elimination chamber match. Very cool. That made Shawn Michaels a world champion once again for the first time since 1998. 2003 Survivor Series from the American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas. Pre-show Sunday Night Heat match to Jerry over Jamie Noble to retain the Cruiserweight Championship. Team Angle, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, John Cena, and Hardcore Holly, and Bradshaw over Team Lesnar. Brock Lesnar, Big Show, Matt Morgan, Nathan Jones, and A-Train. Molly Holly over Lita to retain the women's title. Kane over Shane McMahon in an ambulance match. Basham Brothers over Los Guerreros to retain the tag titles. Team Bischoff, which was Chris Jericho, Christian, Randy Orton, Scott Steiner, and Mark Henry, over Team Austin, Shawn Michaels, RVD, Booker T, Bubba Ray, and Devon. As a result, Steve Austin lost his position as co-general manager of Monday Night Raw. Vince McMahon defeated The Undertaker in a Buried Alive match. My God, people, if you have never seen that match, Vince McMahon bleeds like a pig. This would be Undertaker's last match until WrestleMania 20 gave him time off to, you know, heal up uh, some injuries being banged up. But this match was better than you think. Kane got involved at the end, but still, I, I thought this was a pretty good match. 
Main event, Goldberg over Triple H to retain the World Heavyweight Championship. 2004 Survivor Series, Gundarina, Cleveland, Ohio. Sunday Night Heat Match, La Resistance over Rosie and the Hurricane to retain the World Tag Championships. Spike Dudley over Kidman, Chavo Guerrero Jr., and Rey Mysterio in a fatal four-way for the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. Shelton Benjamin over Christian to retain the IC title. Team Guerrero, which was Eddie Guerrero, The Big Show, RVD, and John Cena over Team Angle. Kurt Angle, Carlito, Luther Reigns, and Mark Jindrak in a Survivor Series match. Undertaker over Heidenreich. Trish Stratus over Lita by DQ to retain the women's title. JBL over Booker T to retain the WWE Championship. And in the main event, Team Orton, Randy Orton, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, and Maven defeated Team Triple H, which was Triple H, Edge, Batista, and Snitsky. And as a result of that win, every member of Team Orton was allowed to be GM of Raw for one week. So that's what we have looking forward to for the next four weeks, everyone. Randy Orton, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, and Maven would all be a GM for a night. Now we get to 2005, and sadly, this week in 05 was the passing of Eddie Guerrero. 38 years old, died of heart-related issues. We know the details. No need to rehash it. Online, I already had posted previous years. little tribute that all of my hotline listeners did at the time. Eddie Guerrero, for those that don't know, back in 05, I was doing some podcasting online, but I was also doing a local hotline report. And I had paid extra to have my voicemail extended. And I allowed uh, people to call and leave like one or two minute messages, you know, expressing their condolences for the passing of Eddie Guerrero. It was really sad. You have tons of fans crying as they're leaving their messages. One of the messages there was a, a big fan of my hotline, and you might know him now as Kevin Castle. Yeah, he was a fan of my shows for about eight years. And then we brought him aboard and he's been doing uh, co-hosting and stuff ever since. And I thought, what do we play this week as a little tribute to Eddie Guerrero? And we played the hotline audio in the past. We've played the tributes that were done on Raw and even a little bit towards for TNA back in the day. So what I did was I found an interview that Eddie Guerrero did in 2002 that I think a lot of you out there may have never heard. It is uh, about 11 minutes long, so it's not a cheap little interview, but where this interview came from, which is interesting, is back in 2002, Acclaim released a video game, Legends of Wrestling 2. It was not good at all, for the most part. But as a bonus for Xbox users that bought the video game, they had this interview embedded in it. So here is the interview from the Legends of Wrestling video game from 2002. Eddie Guerrero. I love the interview. I hope you enjoy it as well. Rest in peace, Eddie Guerrero. I grew up in the business. You know, my father wrestled. I'm a second-generation wrestler, more like a third. I grew up in the locker rooms, you know, in the dressing room, in the ring. Other, other kids had jungle gyms in their backyard. I had a wrestling ring. You know, so I played, you know, wrestling's been my life, all my life, you know. Being a second generation wrestler is both positive and negative. Um, for me, a lot of doors were open quickly because of the name of my father and my brothers. But at the same time, it was very, uh, it was very hard because 
you have to live up to expectations. When you first start, it's a struggle, you know. It's a big struggle, um, you know, mentally, and also for a lot of the boys because you're put in in matches that I know I was put in matches in Mexico where I wasn't ready for. You know, I was put in semis and and uh, main events real quick. You know, I wasn't ready for that. You know. It helped me in the in the long run, but I just wasn't ready for that right then and there. So I had to fight my way, literally, in the ring sometimes, you know, because the other wrestlers didn't feel I deserved to be there. And they were right. Well, the belts that have meant the most to me, I guess, uh, were the Cruiserweight title, WCW. Uh, the tag team titles with uh, my old partner, Art Bar, at Rest of Soul in Mexico the titles from WWF, which were the European and Intercontinental, both of them. Um, yeah, they meant a lot to me, you know? Because uh, in an organization, they don't just give it to you, you know? Uh, there's two reasons why they give you a belt. You know, they give you, they let you hold it or let you carry a belt, it's better put that way. Number one, because they want to make you, you know, they want to bring your status up. Or number two, because you can carry it and make other people with it. Those, those are great honors, you know. But you know, I know for me too, you know, I got to remember that, that with or without a belt, I said I'm going to go produce the best that I can. And a belt doesn't make a wrestler. A wrestler makes the belt. The wrestlers that I love to work with are the work, are the ones that bring out the best in me. Chris Benoit, he brings out the best in me, and he's one of the best in the business. Another one that brings out the best in me is Dean Malenko, Rey Mysterio Jr., um, Liger. You know, these are all people that I've had been able to have good matches with uh, El Hijo del Santo in, in Mexico. You know, it just, uh, for me, these are wrestlers that have always been, you know, just, you have that chemistry with them that you just don't have with not to, you don't have that chemistry with too many people. You can have great matches, but there's only certain people that you can go out there and just have that ultimate match with, you know. Talking about injuries in this business, I mean, you go through injuries all the time. One that stands out in my mind is uh, when I tore my peck wrestling Dean Malenko in a pay-per-view. You know, I went up to the top and I jumped out on him. You know, he tried to duck and shoved me into the, the railing as I landed, but you know, he just didn't get out of the way totally and my arm caught his head here and it just boom snapped my chest back and you know I just remember that one you know because I was out for four months with that. In my life I've experienced addiction you know I have the disease of addiction and I've had problems with uh, drugs and alcohol and uh, what's important in my life now is God and my recovery. Um, I take it one day at a time, man. And uh, I'm thankful to God that I have a second chance at life. 
that I have another opportunity to present myself in the ring and to give the best that I can uh, for the fans and for something that I love to do. Um, what I'm doing in life now is keeping it simple. The advice that I would give somebody that wanted to get into the business is basically the advice that I am learning in my life. It's advice that you use in all aspects of life, which is you get out of it what you put into it. The one specific person that has helped me throughout my career has been the one that's helped me throughout my whole life. Um, right away I think of my father, but he passed away uh, just as I started to wrestle. Uh, everything that he said to me before, I still remember today. You know, he, he gave me advice that has lasted. You know, I'll, I'll always remember my dad for that. But the one that's really supported me and been the one that has carried my dad, my dad's advice to me has been my mother. You look at her, uh, she is this, the mom of four wrestlers, okay? The wife of a wrestler, the sister of wrestlers, the grandmother of a wrestler, the aunt of wrestlers. She's been in wrestling all her life. It's surrounded her too. Um, she gives me great advice. Um, those are the two people, you know, my parents. You know, I grew up in the business. They, they, they've been in the business and just so supportive all the time. Life on the road for a wrestler, the ribbing, the, the traveling, the popularity, it's hard. You know, uh, a lot of people see the glitz and glamour on TV of wrestling and they don't know what goes behind it. They don't know that we go to sleep for two hours. You know, uh, you get up, uh, you, you take off from home in the morning, get a plane, land, go straight to the gym, work out. From there, go grab something to eat while you're in the car sometimes, you know. And that's if we have time to eat. Go straight to the building, work that night. Okay, drive to the next hour, go to the hotel, get about two, three hours of sleep because you gotta get up or f at four or five o'clock in the morning to, to catch the next plane out. I mean, you know, that's just the travel. Then you got all the ribbing and the politics, you know? I mean, there's a lot of egos that go on behind the scenes. You know, it's just like in any other business, you know, and, and the popularity, that's rough, you know. At first it's really neat, you know, because you're getting recognized and all that. And then you hate it because you've got no privacy. And now I've accepted it as part of the package. You know, if anything, I'm grateful to have it now because I guess the day they don't recognize me, it's time to get out of the game. If I were a fan, you know, uh, 
I would believe one of my most memorable matches in my career would be a one with a Chris Benoit. It was the semifinals for the um, J Cup, you know, the junior uh, the junior tour in Japan. And I remember we were on before uh, Liger, and I think it was Samurai in Liger's hometown. And we went out there and we tore the house down. We just tore the house down uh, for 20 minutes. You know, we went on a long time. I think it was 23 minutes. Busted ass. And, uh, you know, very physical. And, and, you know, just that, you know, we had the people on their feet. You know, it was a great experience. What a rush. You know, and then when we came back, you know, everybody was congratulating us. And <laughs> I feel bad for Liger, but, you know, the, the rest of the matches, you know, just wasn't there, you know. So, you know, it, it was a good feeling because you, you went out there and you stole the night, you know. And uh, that doesn't happen, well, it does to some people, you know, but it doesn't happen a lot, you know. So when you get those nights, it's, it's really a special night. For me, what makes a wrestler a great opponent is, first of all, his attitude, his work ethic. You know, not a lot of wrestlers are blessed with the talent that other wrestlers have. But there's wrestlers out there that have some of the best worker ethics, and they're out there busting their ass. That's what makes a great worker. That's what makes a good wrestler. A lot of people look at the big injuries. Those aren't really the ones that are the problem because you'll heal up from those. It's the little ones that become the problem because those become chronic injuries. Those are the ones that keep coming back. Those are the ones that you gotta live with every day and feel that pain every day and that discomfort every now and then and you keep re-injuring those those injuries you know those are the ones that are that are the big ones the specific ribbing story that comes to mind is the rib that was done on me uh, you know they still deny it but I know it was them I don't even think Benoit had something to do with it but still to this day he doesn't say you know he swears he doesn't so it, it was a trip to Japan and um, well, I don't want to, how do you say, um, we overindulged ourselves, and I fell asleep on the plane, and the nasty boys proceeded to uh, shave my eyebrows and cut my bangs and shave a nice little triangle on my head, <laughs> and I had to go wrestle in front of 18,000 people like that, look like Frankenstein. 2005 as well, TNA had their Genesis pay-per-view. They paid tribute to Eddie Guerrero as well. Match results and a couple of tidbits. This was the pay-per-view debut of Christian in TNA. Pre-show match, Sharkboy over Nigel McGuinness. Another pre-show match, the Diamonds in the Rough, which was Simon Diamond, David Young, and Elix Skipper over the Naturals and Lance Hoyt. Raven over PJ Polacco, three live crew. Over Team Canada, which was A1, Bobby Roode and Eric Young in a hockey stick match. Kip James was a special guest referee. Monty Brown over Jeff Hardy to become the number one contender for the NWA Heavyweight Championship. Alex Shelley, Christopher Daniels, Roderick Strong, and Samoa Joe over Austin Aries, Chris Sabin, Matt Bentley, and Sunjay Dutt in an elimination match. Abyss over Sabu in a hardcore match. AJ Styles over Petey Williams to retain the X Division title. Main event, Rhino and Team 3D over America's Most Wanted and Jeff Jarrett. 
2006 TNA Genesis from Orlando. And this event will be known primarily because of one match. Pre-show, we had Robert Roode over Eric Young, Voodoo Kin Mafia over Kazarian, Maverick, Matt, and Johnny Devine, The Naturals over Sunjay Dutt and Jay Lethal, Christopher Daniels over Chris Sabin to retain the X Division Championship, Ron The Truth Killings and Lance Hoyt over the Paparazzi, which was Austin Starr and Alex Shelley, Christian Cage over AJ Styles, the LAX over America's Most Wanted to retain the tag titles. Uh, after the match, Jim Cornette nullified the decision, stripped LAX of the tag titles, and uh, that decision would later be reversed. See? Too much. Leave things simple. Abyss over Sting by DQ to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. You know, I take that back. This event will always be remembered for two matches. This match itself. I remember at the time, like, it was so much controversy online because Abyss won by disqualification. He won the title by DQ. But there is a rule that was instituted by TNA that if anyone intentionally disqualifies themselves, they could lose the title. Sting had clotheslined Rudy Charles, ref called for the bell, and, you know, that's pretty much what took place. Um, the ending was kind of Shangata, to be honest with you, but still, I thought this match, Abyss versus Sting, was a lot of fun, and I'm pretty sure that there is an episode of the Minority Report that's online the night after this event took place, and we talked about this event in detail. But the main event, this is the match everybody always remembers. Kurt Angle over Samoa Joe by submission. This was the first time ever Samoa Joe was defeated in TNA. Phenomenal match. Kurt Angle versus Samoa Joe, arguably maybe the greatest feud that ever took place in TNA. I, I don't think many people would... Uh, have a problem with that. I mean, AJ Styles as well had, you know, unbelievable feuds over the years, Christopher Daniels and others, but Kurt Angle versus Samoa Joe was special. It really was. 2007 Survivor Series, CM Punk, who was the ECW champion over Morrison and Miz. Remember Morrison and Miz. I'll get to them again in a moment. Kelly Kelly, Maria, Michelle McCool, Mickey James, and Tori Wilson over Beth Phoenix, Jillian Hall, Layla, Melina, and Victoria in a 10 Diva tag match. Not Survivor Series, just five on five. Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch over Cody Rhodes and Hardcore Holly uh, to retain the world tag titles. Five, uh, four on five Survivor Series elimination match. Jeff Hardy, Kane, Rey Mysterio, and Triple H over Big Daddy V, Finley, Mr. Kennedy, MVP, and Umaga. Great Kali over Hornswoggle by DQ. Randy Orton, Retains the WWE Championship, defeating Shawn Michaels. Sweet Chin Music was banned, by the way. And if Randy Orton had been disqualified, he would have lost the title. Ah, see? TNA, WWE, similar rules. Batista over The Undertaker in a Hell in a Cell match to retain the World Heavyweight Championship. Also in 2007, later on that week, we had Morrison and Miz defeat Matt Hardy and MVP to win the WWE Tag Team Championship. They were just a fairly, form, you know, they were just new as a tag team. I mean, recently they had uh, been opponents fighting for the ECW title and they were paired together. They were rivals. And then they paired together. They won the tag titles. And I think arguably in the last 15 years, Miz and Morrison is one of the more popular tag teams ever to compete in WWE. I don't think anybody will disagree with me on that one. 
wrapping up 2007, we had Randy Orton. You know, we just covered Survivor Series. He had defeated Shawn Michaels to win uh, his match and retain the WWE Championship. So Randy Orton had come out on Monday Night Raw to cut a promo. And he was talking about how he successfully beat everybody, blah, 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 this, this, and that. Now, leading up to this for weeks, there was some type of a vignette that was being aired with a lot of computer digits and stuff like that. And we didn't know exactly what it was. I mean, people online pretty much knew. Some fans actually had signs in the crowd that night, so they pretty much knew. But for the overall consensus, many people did not know. And it was something you had to decode, and it would lead to something. Well, this week in 07, the night after Survivor Series, we had Chris Jericho make his return to the WWE after a two-year absence. The code was broken, and it was save us, Y2J. And it was great to see him back. He looked good. It's just, I always remember this. You could go back to my... DTKC show from 07 because I still remember saying this and I haven't listened to that episode since then. I remember saying that, you know, Jericho had been gone doing music and other things and his promo was amped up one notch too high. Like you felt like he was more MC in a concert than actually cutting a wrestling promo. It's just an opinion. And Jericho is one of my favorites of all time. I am not criticizing him, but I have a feeling a lot of you out there are going to agree. And then there was none. After beating Shawn Michaels, after beating Triple H, after the destruction of John Cena and the total annihilation of every superstar, legend, and champion in my path, I've managed to do the impossible. I have beaten all that there is to beat. And now it is time for the torch to be passed to me. Right outside the arena here in uh, Fort Lauderdale. I am so ready for this. I deserve this. I have earned this. And here he comes. That heck of a runner. All the way from Miami to here in Fort Lauderdale. Strain on his face. Don't blame him.
this is now, this is the second coming of Y2J! You remembered! I want you to take out your cell phones, text your friends, take a picture, shoot a video, send an email, call them all and tell them that the sexy beast is back, baby! to ignite you, to excite you, to delight you, and I invite you to strap on your seatbelts, ease the seat back, click it into gear, and go into overdrive, because from this point forward, it's 100% entertainment, 100% electricity, 100% Jericho. Wait a minute, wait a minute, who the hell do you think you are? saw you, Jericho, you were getting fired on Raw. And it's a good thing, too, because if you would have stayed on Raw, it would have just been a matter of time before I kicked you in the head and ended your career. So tell us, tell us, oh Savior, what's so important that you had to come back? What exactly what exactly are you saving us from? Well, your boring personality, for one. You want me to continue? How about saving us from that face of yours that looks like you got flattened by a frying pan? Or your monotonous, robotic, Randy Orton voice? Or how about I save us from your childbearing hips, your supercuts hairstyle, your subscription to Blue Ball Magazine? Oh, but most importantly, Randy Orton, I'm here to save us from you. Because the first chance I get, I'm going to take that WWE Championship from you. And I'm going to put it around this gorgeous waist. And when I do, Monday Night Raw, the WWE, Sports Entertainment, Entertainment Entertainment, the state of Florida, the country of the United States, the Western Hemisphere, the planet Earth, the heavens above, the galaxies, the crab nebula, the universe itself. will never, 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 ever be the same again. On the WWE champion, Randy Orton, and it's poured water all over Orton. Ceremony is passing of the poured 
ceremony here tonight. 2008 at UFC 91, Brock Lesnar defeats Randy Couture by TKO to win the UFC championship. And people have noted that that makes Lesnar the first man to ever win the NCAA, New Japan, and UFC heavyweight championships. 2009, Monday Night Raw debuted a new intro and a new song. I think a lot of people remember this song. And actually, I think this was one of the better songs that they used to have. Twenty ten, WWE releases Shad Gaspard, Luke Gallows, Vance Archer, Kalen Croft, Tiffany, Jillian Hall, and they came to terms with Chris DeJoseph, who was a writer for them, and you know him as Big Dick Johnson. Also in 2010, WWE had their first ever old school Raw. They made it look like a 1993 episode of Monday Night Raw. Uh, match results from that night, Dolph Ziggler over Mark Henry, Heath Slater and Justin Gabriel over the Hart Dynasty. During that match, Tyson Kidd turned on D.H. Smith. Ezekiel Jackson over the Brooklyn Brawler. John Cena over Alex Riley. Santino and Kozlov over the Usos. Kofi Kingston over David Otunga. Wade Barrett over R-Truth. Alberto Del Rio over Sergeant Slaughter. Mae Young defeated Michelle McCool and Layla in a two-on-one handicap, no disqualification match. At the time, made uh, Mae Young, at age 77, the oldest person ever to win a match in WWE history. Daniel Bryan over Jack Swagger to close out Monday Night Raw. I don't know, it's a card, to be honest with you. Ah, Hulkamania in Australia. We talked about it recently as well. Well, it was this week in 2010, they did that infamous press conference where Ric Flair was talking about Hulk Hogan's fiance and they would have a brawl and Ric Flair would uh, bloody up Hulk Hogan. And believe it or not, there were a lot of news outlets and papers and radio shows in Australia that thought this was real. They thought it was not scripted. It was obviously a publicity stunt. It was done okay. I mean, I think people were more criticizing the ages of Hogan and Flair at the time. But still, you know, it did its purpose. Unfortunately, it did not enhance a whole lot of ticket sales. They did not draw anywhere near they thought they were going to draw. And next week, I believe, we will actually cover um, one or two of the events that went down the following week. Uh, you know, we could look back on it as a learning lesson. Thank God he is doing much better. But it was this week in 2011 that Matt Hardy was kicked out of uh, court-ordered rehab. He was in WWE rehab. He failed to breathalyze a test. And not only did he get kicked out of rehab, but because he was no longer in court-ordered rehab, that means you violated a court order. And as soon as he got off his plane in Moore County, North Carolina, he was arrested and booked for a violation of a court order. So, look, thank God Matt Hardy has totally cleaned up. God bless him. I know we all rooted for him. I mean, it, it sucked that he had gone through the demons that he did, and believe me, he hit rock bottom pretty damn hard 
but he's turned it around and, uh, you know, thank God. We're almost done, everyone. A couple other tidbits to get into. First, 2012 Survivor Series from Indianapolis, Indiana, Banker's Life Fieldhouse. Pre-show match, 3MB over Zack Ryder and Santino. Team Clay in the Survivor Series match. Brodus Clay, Justin Gabriel, Rey Mysterio, Sin Cara, and Tyson Kidd over Team Tenzai. Primo, Epico, Tenzai, and the Primetime Players. Eve Torres over Caitlin to retain the Divas Championship. Cesaro over R-Truth to retain the United States Championship. Sheamus over the Big Show by DQ in the World Heavyweight Title Match. Survivor Series, Team Ziggler, Dolph Ziggler, Wade Barrett, Rhodes Scholars, Damian Sandow and Cody Rhodes, and Alberto Del Rio over Team Foley, Miz, Kofi Kingston, Team Hell No, and Randy Orton in the Survivor Series match. CM Punk over John Cena and Ryback in a triple threat match to retain the WWE Championship. And towards the end of that match, we had three guys jump the rails in black outfits and vests. They attacked Ryback, and we would later know them to be Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, and Roman Reigns. This was about two or three weeks after Roman Reigns made his debut in NXT, and we would soon after know them as the shield and with CM Punk's win that night it made him the first man to hold the WWE championship for one full year since John Cena did it in 2007 2012 on WWE's website they named the top 20 superstars of the attitude era I don't know if you agree with this list I'm waiting for them to put out another list and do revisionist history as they've been doing you know of late but here's the list Going from number 20 to number one. Number 20, APA. Number 19, Shane McMahon. 18, Goldust. 17, The Dudleys. 16, Bret Hart. 15, Team Extreme. 14, Kurt Angle. 13, Stephanie McMahon. 12, The Big Show. 11, Edge and Christian. Number 10, Chris Jericho. Number 9, Kane. Number 8, New Age Outlaws. Number seven, The Undertaker. Number 6, Shawn Michaels. Number 5, Mr. McMahon. Number 4, Mick Foley. Number three, Triple H. Number two, The Rock. And number one, Stone Cold Steve Austin. 2013, you know, we all want to see Big E get heavyweight title run. Well, it was in 13 this week that he defeated Curtis Axel to win the IC Championship. 2014, Great Kali is officially done with WWE. And out goes Kali, and in comes, albeit for one night, Grumpy Cat. Yes, this week in 2014, Grumpy Fucking Cat hosted Monday Night Raw. Wrapping up 2014, press release uh, by Discovery Communications and TNA. They announced a TV deal that TNA will be going to Destination America as of January 2015. And wrapping up this episode, 2017, we had Survivor Series, Elias over Matt Hardy, Enzo Amore over Callisto to retain the Cruiserweight Championship, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn over Brazongo, The Shield, which was Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, and Seth Rollins over the New Day, 5-on-5 Survivor Series match, Team Raw, Alicia Fox, Sasha Banks, Bayley, Asuka, and Nia Jax, over Team SmackDown, which was Becky Lynch, Naomi, Carmella, Natalia, and Tamina. The survivor of that match was Asuka. 
Champion versus champion. Baron Corbin, who was the U.S. champ, defeated The Miz, who was the IC champ. Another champion versus champion match. The Usos, who were the SmackDown tag champs, over Cesaro and Sheamus, who were the Raw tag champs. Another champion versus champion match. Charlotte, who was the SmackDown women's champion over Alexa Bliss, who was the Raw women's champion. And the final champion versus champion match. Brock Lesnar, who was the Universal champion, over AJ Styles, who was the WWE champion. Five-on-five Survivor Series elimination match. Team Raw, which was Kurt Angle, Braun Strowman, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, and Triple H. Over Team SmackDown, consisting of Shane McMahon, Randy Orton, Bobby Roode, Shinsuke Nakamura, and John Cena. If Team Raw would have lost, Kurt Angle would have been fired as Raw General Manager. And there you go. Notable birthdays this week. Those celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us. Happy birthday to the Macho Man Randy Savage, Miss Elizabeth, Ted Allen, Sarah Lee, Johnny Weaver, Ricky Dozen, Big Daddy, SUNY Warcloud. Happy birthday to all of you. God rest your souls. Ted Turner turns 80. Baron Von Raschke, 78. Ed Moretti, 61. Ricky Gibson and Mike Samples, 54. L.A. Park, 53. Mike Anthony, 52. Michiyoshi Ohara, Forajito and M.I. Smooth turned 51. Hiroshi Watanabe and Piquino Warrior turned 48. Matt Bloom turns 46. Starman, 44. Teo Kea, the great Takaru and Sean Candido, 43. Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tomokai Homa and Kikutaro, Kikutaro, 42. Meiko Satomura turns 40. Alex Shane, Michael Von Payton, and Alex Payne turned 39. Mercedes Martinez, Jay Bradley, Rufus Jones, and Sarah Del Rey turned 38. La Rosa Negra turns 37. Masato Inaba turns 36. Sunil Singh, 34. Callisto, Andrew Hawks, and Daisuke Harada turn 32. And happy birthday to Tegan Knox, who turns 24. Notable debuts this week in history. Ray Bucanero debuted in 91. Kaz Hayashi in 1992. Corporal Punishment in 93. Michael Elgin, Candace Michelle, and Michelle McCool all debuted in 2004. And finally, notable deaths this week. Those who passed away this week in history. Hardy Crust Camp died at 88. Charles Fisher at 84. Ed Sharp at 83. Nick Bockwinkle died at age 80. Kangaroo Kennedy passed away at 76. Tiger Conway at 74. Graham Marcus at 68. Mark Manson, Ted Herbert, and Joe Abbey died at 65. Rufus R. Jones died at 60. Benito Gardini died at 59. Alibaba, 57. Awesome Kong, 54. Note about Awesome Kong. This is the Awesome Kong that competed in the USWA. Need to clarify that. Not the awesome Kong, Karma, Nia Stevens. Tony Rumble died at 43, and Eddie Guerrero passed away at 38. Follow me on Twitter, at DonTonyD. The website, DonTony.com. We now have Reddit. Sign up on Reddit. It is blowing up, and we've only had it around for a short period of time. Go on Reddit. Search reddit.com slash show. Same address like Facebook. Facebook.com slash show. And if you like what we do, want to help support the shows, keep them in business, keep the bills paid, the lights on, and keep these free for everyone, 
Consider our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Don Tony. You got hundreds of hours of Patreon exclusive shows that we do only there. You get early releases of this show, ad-free episodes of the DTKC show, Breakfast with Blossom. We have giveaways, content. It's just so awesome. For five bucks, you get it all. Patreon.com slash Don Tony. Everyone be well. I will return next week with episode 47 of this week in wrestling history. Take care, everyone. Be well. Ciao. What you doing? Trying on glasses with Zenny's 3D Virtual Try-On. Wait, are those the actual prices? I say get all of them. Seriously, why not, right? Oh, now I want new glasses. Zenny.com. Quality prescription glasses starting at $6.95. Tune out with Nevia by Moen, the spa shower that offers double the coverage using about half the water, making it look, sound, and feel totally different. Learn more at moen.com slash nebia.